You never know when you just might need an attorney. Picking the right representation is crucial for the outcome of your case. When you go to battle in the courtroom, you want the very best in your corner. You need the advocate to the stars. The professional's professional. The undisputed world heavyweight champion of justice, Stephen P. New. If you have been mistreated and abused by a major corporation, if you've been abused by a representative like a doctor at the Veterans Administration Hospital, if you or a member of your family has been the victim of elder abuse in a nursing home, if you have been poisoned by Roundup or by asbestos in your talcum powder, if your entire city's water supply been poisoned by chemicals left underground, or if you've got any other kind of gripe or grievance that you feel needs Redress in the legal system. Call Stephen P. New, newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. He's representing people from professional wrestlers to just the little people out there like you and me that need some champion of justice to defend their rights in a court of law, especially with the American justice system being as fucked up as it is. You need somebody that knows this shit inside and out. And Stephen P. New, if it's one thing he knows inside and out, it is shit. I think you mean a courtroom. A courtroom full of shit. That's what you'll get. Every time you're in a courtroom, you've got a courtroom full of shit. You need a shit shoveler to shovel all the shit out of the way and get you the shit you deserve. And Stephen P. New is the best shit shoveler in the world. He will dig you out of whatever hole of shit you're buried in and he will get you the shit that you deserve so that you can go and tell everybody else that they're the shits and you'll be the shit. When you seek legal counsel, choose Stephen New and his team. They'll work together to achieve the best results for your case and support you every step of the way. Our clients, why we do what we do, the law office of Stephen. Hello, Rich Quick here, and I just need a quick word with a certain no-name backyard wrestler. I'll explain. See, recently, our very own Brian Resner posted a picture in the Cult of Cornette Facebook group of three young men, backyard wrestling enthusiasts, with the hashtag MudShow. Well, one of these young men took exception to that post and decided to film a promo on Ryan Resner. Now, you can follow the whole thing on the House of Kayfabe Residence group on Facebook. <clears throat> okay. Man, make sure you angle the fucking camera right. This has got to look cool, okay? They're making a lot of fun of us right now. This has got to look cool. You can't fuck this up, okay? So, Ryan Resner, I thought you were my friend. I thought you were somebody that I could look up to that wanted to give me advice and help me become a better person. But no, you just wanted to make fun of me. You took a picture that I was so proud of and posted it in the Cult of Cornette Facebook group and they fucking, ooh, those stupid fucking people. But you know what? I should have known. I should have known that it would take wearing a simple shirt that wasn't even mine that was gifted to me to trigger every single one of you lame losers. You follow an old man and you listen to every word he says and hang on to it like gospel. That's okay because all 500 of you idiots are now right where we want you to be. Oh, Mom, I'm filming wrestling promos right now. I told you, yeah. yes, 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 a McDouble with Max sauce and no onions, please. Yes, okay, love you, sorry, bye. Anyway, Brian Resler, one day you got yours coming. 
You're going to get yours one day, B-Rez. And all of you on there that were running your mouth like you wanted some of this, well, come fucking get it. You know what? That's all right. I don't need any of you stupid internet fans anyway. Are y'all cut up? Good? All right, all right. Well, see, said promo deserves a response, I think. And I think it deserves a response from me. In an open letter, I call Dear No Name. Here we go. <clears throat> Dear No Name. Hello. Rich Quick here. And I understand you are very upset. So upset even that, that you put your feelings on video. Well, good for you. Everyone needs an outlet. See, but you accused Brian Reznor and the Cornette fans of, of making fun of you. Now, I don't speak for them, but let me assure you, you are 100% right. They were definitely making fun of you. All right? See, oh, no, but not me. Not me, no name. Now, see, I am merely giving you my honest critiques of your promo. I am here to help you, no name. Now, I only call you no name because nowhere in your two and a half minute long video did you once mention your name. Who the fuck are you? I mean, the only reason you would cut a promo on a guy you're never gonna fight, never gonna wrestle, and never gonna meet is for attention, to bring eyes onto your product, which is you. Now, just because your pot dealer knows your name doesn't mean the rest of America does. Also, oh, hey, stop shifting and swaying side to side. You're making me seasick. Plant your feet. See, because shifting your feet shows a lack of confidence. And your movements matter. And that means in promos, too. Okay, see, oh, then, then you go with the old Brian Reznor. I thought you were my friend. What? <sighs> Come on, man. Now, despite that being completely unnecessary thing to say, it was at that moment that I messaged Reznor and said, why are you working with this asshole? See, but you, you know name. You, you had an opportunity to cut a promo using real emotion, stemming from a real situation. You got made fun of on the internet, and you were legitimately pissed off. But instead, you chose to act how you think a wrestler should behave. Throw in some unnecessary comedy. Uh, by the way, um, if you're going to talk about Jim Cornette, then immediately order a cheeseburger. Use Cornette's cheeseburger or double cheese, double onion, motherfucker. Look, look, point is, I did not believe... A single thing you said. You had no idea where you were going and even less of a clue how you were going to get there. See, I bet you're the type of guy who, who can do a moonsault but doesn't know how to lock up properly. See, even in promos, you have to work on the basics. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Work on putting together a coherent thought before throwing in jokes and props. Follow the kiss rule, okay? works. Keep it simple, stupid. Now, remember, no name, I, I am only trying to help you. So, in closing, I will say this. If this is just a hobby for you, good, great, wonderful. Work in your hometown once a month for free and live your best life. But if you think in any way that you want to pursue this art form, then you got a lot of work to do, kid. All right. Now, start with taking advice. Now, I'm not saying you have to listen to me, 
But you need to listen to somebody other than your friend sitting beside you telling you how great you are. See, that's how you get better. So until you get better, until you take this seriously, I humbly request that you stay the fuck off our page. Sincerely, Rich Quick. See, now how hard was that? I, I, I said my name like three fucking times right there. Welcome to House of Kayfabe with Brian Reznor and Stephen New. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the House of Kayfabe. I'm Brian Reznor, and I'm here with my best buddy, Stephen P. New. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you doing? Well, I'm feeling like uh, like a world champion right now. You know why? Why is that? Because we've got a world champion on the show, and it's, it's not me, but it's Nick Aldis, and he's going to be on the show just a little bit later, and it's going to be pretty exciting. You know what? I bet our listeners can envision sweet Charlotte, that 10 pounds of gold with that beautiful globe, those flags flanking that middle portion of that belt. We're total belt marks, Brian Reznor. You know that. And you know how much I love that 10 pounds of gold. And I'm telling you, this guy, in my opinion, stacks right up there with the greats who have ever worn that belt from the Funks to the Briscoes to the Harley Races, the Dusty Roads, the Rick Flares, the Ricky Steamboats. This guy is right there in their league, and there's no argument with me about that. No, sir. None over here either. He looks the part. He acts the part. He works the part. He is the world heavyweight champion, and he is on the House of Kayfabe today. So keep it locked right here. We'll be right back. House of Kayfabe. This time on Kayfabe Theater, Macho Man Randy Savage. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Kayfabe Theater. I am your host, Lucius Beauregard, and on today's episode, we examine what will surely be the first of many excerpts devoted to arguably the best monologuist of his or any era. Indeed, I am, of course, speaking of the macho man, Randy Savage, in his monologue entitled Cream of the crop. Nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing, man. I'm talking about all the way to the top, yeah, unjustifiably, in a position that I'd rather not be in, but the cream will rise to the top. Ooh, yeah, macho madness, yeah has got more to offer than President Jack Tunney thinks that I got, yeah? And let me tell you something right now. Cards stacked against the macho mad Randy Savage in WrestleMania 3. Let me say it, yeah. Let me say it out loud. And let me point to the president of the World Wrestling Federation. The macho man Randy Savage is not happy with your decision, yeah? I am the cream in the World Wrestling Federation, and there is no doubt about it. Yeah, you mean, Gene Okerlund. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Yeah, I do. Yeah, outside interference. Yeah, in my moment of glory. Yeah, and now I'm living 
in a nightmare, and I am the cream, and now not only the intercontinental heavyweight belt must fall, but the world heavyweight championship belt, because Hulk Hogan, yeah, I am the cream, yeah, the cream of the crop, and there is no one that does it better than the macho man, Randy Savage, on balance, off balance, doesn't matter, I'm better than you are, yeah, and I'm talking everyone in the World Wrestling Federation, and I'm even talking to President Jack Tunney, yeah, I'm on my way, and nothing is gonna stop me, nothing's gonna stop me. And scene. Thank you again for joining us. I am your host, Lucius Beauregard, and this has been Kayfabe Theater. I am the cream here, the cream of the crop, and there is no one that does it better than the Macho Man Randy Savage. Welcome back to House of Kayfabe. I am Brian Reznor, and I'm sitting here with Stephen P. New and Rich Quick, and we are talking about something that is like a plague, like a pestilence over professional wrestling. And no, I'm not talking about a pandemic. I am talking about the decrease and continuing fall of the ratings. And Stephen P. New, you know that we come from lots of different eras and eras in wrestling, and there are tons of times when the ratings have dropped. But I think we might be at a spot where the ratings might be lower than they, they ever have been. Yeah, I've not done any kind of comparison, but I'd have a hard time believing that the ratings have ever been any lower. Well, see, you know what's so weird about it is the ratings are super low and there is wrestling freaking everywhere. Like, and there's going to be more. There's more wrestling headed our way. And how is that a possible thing to be happening when the ratings are so low? Rich Quick, what do you think keeps making wrestling shows get these opportunities to be in our face every single week if none of them are doing anything ratings wise because uh the corporate networks will pay them money but that's that's why, but why? Okay, so, okay here's the thing here's the thing yes did it you know wwe might get a million viewers a week okay or maybe more for smackdown but you know it's nowhere near the attitude era it's nowhere near that but the fact is they keep getting paid fox gave them a billion dollars or whatever all right so if fox is happy with a million viewers a year like uh every Tuesday or Friday or every week or whatever the day, damn day of the week it's on now, if they're happy with it, then basically WWE is Kevin Nash in WCW. They're on guaranteed money, baby. It doesn't matter whether they put on a great show or whether they put on a piece of shit like they do mostly. They're on, I mean, as long as the network's happy and they keep getting paid. Who cares? Then- yeah, who cares? I, I, I get that completely. But my question is, are we maybe out of touch when we talk about ratings? Do ratings even matter? in this current entertainment climate do or are these subscriptions and 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 the streams and all that are are those not getting put into play with the ratings how do you put those into play with the ratings why isn't there a system that is based on all of that and tie that in with the you know with the weekly ratings yeah i'm not sure how they do ratings nowadays whether they include are we still doing nielsen i mean are they still sending out like these uh diaries and people are supposed to write in them and you pay 
you get paid a dollar? Do they still do that? I think I they was do. A viewer once. I was too. That's why I know this system. And I wonder, is that still the system? And that no, system but like, was so flawed. But, but are, are they adding like Hulu and and networks and, and like the DVRs? Right. I, I'm not sure how exactly they do ratings. Well, I was just so. thinking like the only thing that I watch live every single week is AEW. It's got to that point. It used to be Raw and AEW. It used to be everything. Now it is... AEW, that's the only thing I watch live. And that means that no one's getting my rating. But I'm watching Raw. I'm watching NXT. I'm watching SmackDown. Well, there, I learned something from Bully Ray the other day. They actually, with the advent of TiVos and things, if you play it on your TiVo within, it's either 24 or 48 hours, it counts towards the rating. That's why... And I think it's played within 24 hours, and it shows up, and that's why the ratings are delayed now, by a is couple that ju- of days. Is that just TiVo, or is that on demand too? Or and, you know, is that just TiVo? Is that Hulu too? Does that count? And you, where where does that end, or where does it even begin? Is it is it TiVo? Just TiVo? Well, and here I'm reading a little bit. They've got live overnight, live plus same day, live plus three same day ratings with three additional days of DVR and on demand live plus seven um and then they also go into looking at um whether people skip commercials and then it says things can get a little bit fuzzy here as multi-platform ratings can include streaming and digital viewing via networks app or third-party service like hulu plus on air replays the digital audience is growing and some shows get more viewers than uh from there than their on-air showings Interesting. HBO touted a massive audience of 44 million viewers for the final season of Game of Thrones, but that included... Um, up six weeks of streaming and replays of the season premiere five weeks ahead of episode two and so on. So uh, Nielsen does measure for the audience for streaming shows. Netflix and others have disputed the ratings. So so what is it? So that means that these ratings that we're seeing for say AEW and NXT during the wars, that is, is based on DVR too. Yes. Yes. It is based on DVR within a certain period of time. And that's something that you never see reported or rarely see reported. I mean, you ever see that, you know, day, the day three ratings adjusted for whatever? You know, you rarely see that on the dirt sheets. No, you don't. You never hear anybody talk about that either. And it also makes me horrified for the future of the business if they're only getting a million views, including DVR and on demand. Whoa, that's a whole well, that, that That's guys like us who, you know. I won't watch NXT tonight or I'll watch it late after it's aired or I'll watch it tomorrow before I watch AEW, for instance. Um, That'll still count in that plus 24, plus 48 rating. Well, see, now when I was a Nielsen viewer, now what this sounds like to me is I don't know whether it's just people who are Nielsen viewers who have the Nielsen box attached to their TV or whether they've encompassed all our TVs, which probably should be right to get an accurate measurement. But when I was a Nielsen viewer in Boston, Massachusetts in 1998, the guy told me, besides welcome to the family, it was like I was part of the mob. My TV (laughs) got stolen. They bought me a new TV, brought me a new box. It was great. Uh, So... But the guy told me, he was like, hey, look, you can't tell anybody you're part of the family because you represent 30 plus thousand people in Boston, Massachusetts. So that p- people could try to bribe you to watch a certain show. People could like put up a billboard outside, you know, outside of your door. So it's 
if 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 Nielsen that that's the thing is that if there are less people watching wrestling, but one Nielsen viewer could encompass thirty some thousand people. So when everybody was watching wrestling, there was a good chance that the multiple households were watching this wrestling. Nowadays, not so much. Right. It, it's a it's an average. Nielsen does averages, and it's real hard to get. So here is the question: Is how does wrestling come back? I mean, because we're obviously in this spot right now. This spot is, I guess, would be compared to the next generation era, maybe, you know, where that they were losing some steam and Austin and Rock saved the day. And, you know, we, we seen the Attitude Era ushered in and all that good stuff. And they even kept the steam with the, the ruthless aggression era. But we're now at a stale spot. So obviously what's going on is not working. What do we... What do we do from here? And I'll start with you, Stephen P. New. What What is your moves if you're trying to pull wrestling back into the limelight like it was in, in the 90s or even the 2000s? I don't think it can be. It, oh, it that's can't not be the in, answer it, I want. Why are you trying to tell me Santa Claus isn't real? It, it can't be in WWE because WWE is a publicly traded corporation. They have shareholders to um, answer to. And so for what's needed for WWE, which is to take the reins off all these guys and to just let them be original, let them okay. do what they're going to do. Let them just run like wild stallions. I have a question. You know, now you understand yeah. thing. You, you understand certain things better than I do. And, and it's great having you around to be able to throw these things at, because I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm an expert at all when it comes to the stock market, but if WWE just said, fuck it and did whatever they wanted to do to make as much money as possible. What, what exactly would be the downfall of that? For one, part of my question would be Vince McMahon doesn't care. He'll buy all the stock back. He doesn't. He, he, why would he give a shit? Yeah, buy and, all of it. He, he, he still holds most of it. But it though, it's those minority shareholders, uh, you know, the firefighters fund out west that owns a huge chunk of the WWE because it bought the stock when it was real low and made a bunch of money when it went to the went to the sky a few years ago. You guys remember me talking about that. Oh, yeah. But derivative lawsuits by shareholders, you know, if you had a block of shareholders that said, I don't like um, Sable being out there with painted black hands on her breasts. That's a Uh, Mm t-shirt. Steven knew. There you go. (laughs) I don't like uh, the HLA angle. You know, I don't like uh, Cayenne Tai chopping off Val Venus's penis or, you know, that kind of thing. I'm Uh, not sure that that stuff, stuff. I'm I'm not even sure that that stuff would get over anyway today. Well, I'm saying, assuming that it could, or assume that WWE said, what we need is to recreate the Kayentai Val Venus angle. And we're going to get twice the viewers last week that we had this week if we do the Kayentai Val Venus angle. Well, a privately held corporation, you can do whatever you want to. Publicly held corporation, uh, you answer to shareholders. And shareholders can sue for you doing off-the-wall things that put the company in jeopardy or make the company look bad or really? something like Okay, so it's not just a, oh, you don't like it, we'll sell your stock. It's not, exactly. It's not, it's not like that. No, no, actually, minority shareholders have a lot of power in a uh, publicly traded corporation. They can call for votes of no confidence of the board. They can... They, Raise all kinds of cane uh, that you don't have uh, in a privately held. 
Damn, I didn't even know that we had that kind of power. I'm about to walk into Dogecoin headquarters and start telling people what to fucking do. Sure you are. Nah, I'm just kidding. I don't even know if there is a Dogecoin headquarters. Is there? Yeah, what kiosk at a failing mall are they at? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you can't say that about Dogecoin. You know, they're up a They right now, as of the recording of this podcast, are worth more than Twitter. You know that? Right? You didn't. You didn't know that. By the look on your face, and I can tell people that, that you did not know that. 26 this past weekend feel like fools. Yeah. And you know what? I it's came. It's doubled since Saturday. Doubled. I came in at point zero zero three, Mr. New. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. I, I done it a long time ago. I, I bought in and, and I'm really happy about that. But not. this is not a stock f- a forecast here. No, what it, we're talking US, about is the my, forecast my for professional was, wrestling. You can't do, at least with WWE, what what I would want, which would be take the reins off these guys, let them run. You know, let them be original. Quit trying to script characters and let guys and gals go out there and do what they want to try to get themselves over, to get their gimmicks over. Be original. You know, be whoever it is that you are. Be that on 11. And let's see who that works for. And who that doesn't work for, because it's going to work for the Rocks and the Austins and the Trish Stratuses and those people. And it ain't going to work for D'Lo Brown and some other folks. Yeah, it's not going to work for D'Lo, unfortunately. Right, but in, in, in privately held corporations, I think those privately held corporations can do exactly that. Whatever it takes to get eyes on us. Okay, so complete side note. D'Lo Brown actually did an exceptional job on commentary for the Impact pay-per-view. Did, yeah. anyone, did anyone hear that? Yeah. He did a great job. Well, it <laughs> he was D'Lo was trying really, really hard to cover that botchamania. <laughs> he, he sure was. He was trying really, really hard to cover that botchamania that was Kenny Omega and Rich Swan. All right, before we go to what Rich Quick was saying or, or what Rich Quick is going to be saying about what his idea is for turning this ship around, I have to say that what you just said to us brings me to the fact that AEW is the only hope for a resurrection. You're saying that that can't happen with the WWE. WWE has to be measured and careful about what they do. You you couldn't just go from whatever rating they are now to NC-17. But AEW could totally do whatever the hell they want. I mean, they're a private company. Subject to TNT's uh, standards and practices. Right, which is obviously pretty good for them because they can say shit all the time. Yeah. Yeah, they, they say a lot of salty words on there that we're not used to hearing on basic cable television. I'm, I wonder why that hasn't been an issue at all, ever. I mean, I'm glad it's not. I, I don't mind hearing it. I just... Well, I think the FCC has lightened up. But, you know, if if you had an FCC come along and start fining TNT for those words being on the network, uh, then you'd see TNT crack down on AEW for it. You've just got an FCC with someone in charge right now that doesn't care. Yeah, well, I guess you're right. So, uh, Rich Quick, what would be your turnaround scheme? How would you get the the audience back? How, How do we get back to millions and millions and millions of viewers instead of maybe a million? Well, I agree with Steve Duke. We don't. Okay, but listen, hear me out. Let me talk. Let me talk. Listen to me. All right, look. The time that we are talking about with the great viewers was the Attitude Era. And I believe that the reason the Attitude Era is the pinnacle of what the, of the wrestling ratings is because, you know, right before that, Vince McMahon had came out and said that it's all 
predetermined. It's all the F word. It's all phony, right? So that time of people believing that everybody was who they were is now gone, except the rock and stone cold. You didn't really believe the undertaker was a dead man, but you believe that stone cold was a beer drinking redneck who wanted to punch out his boss. Damn straight. All these other guys are fake, but stone cold is real. The rock came off as a person who was an egotistical prick. You really believed that he felt that way. Everybody else is fake. He is real. And then that was the last grasp of a dying generation of wrestling fans wanting to hang on to believe that this was real. And they're the last ones they could hang on to. Once they left, nobody had anything to hang on to because they've all become their real names. Everybody knows everything about them. The Internet came along and now everybody knows everything about everything. So therefore... We can't get back to that because this is entertainment now. Wrestling as a whole has changed. Now, how did most of us, Steve knew, you, me, all the people listening, how did a, 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 a big majority of us get into wrestling? It's from our grandparents watching it on TV. It's from our parents watching it on TV, showing it to us because they believed in it. And it became a generational thing. Well, we're the last generation. You're good. You take your kids to wrestling shows. I do. You, your kid, you watch wrestling with your kids, but not a lot of people do. So it stopped a generation. This is a generational business where you keep things going. And then, you know, I would say, uh, you know, there was TV on earlier, so you could watch it with your kids and stuff. Now it's geared toward adults, but the adults don't want to watch it. Yeah. Wrestling has always been geared toward adults and kids, something you can do together. And it's a generational thing. And we've dropped a generation. So my suggestion to turn the whole thing around is burn it all to the ground. <laughs> I know we can't really do that. I know we can't really do that. But let WWE do their thing. I think there needs to be more television stations willing to put on big territories like let's rebuild the territory system starting with mlw mlw could run this entire section and have their own tv and then build up and then it can you know move on and then yeah wwe has their thing but we are building little territory and just build the territories back where you give people options it looks like mlw is going to become the new nxt because nxt is now a a legit brand and not just a uh you know a a farm system Uh, it looks like mlw is about to become the farm system for the wwe Uh, stevie you you were mentioning something about that quick just described i think that's what the nwa should do i think the nwa should sanction territories oh you saw how well that worked last time steve i understand it's because it was poorly Ex- it was poorly planned, poorly executed last time. Well, you know, the, the lawyer you're talking about. The very first thing. Huh? The very first thing that Billy Corgan did when he took over the NWA was end all of that. Right. So And did nothing nope. for years. Did nothing. What I'm saying is if you execute, if you planned it, if you executed it, if you had an actual plan to divvy up the country and a guy has to come in and the promoter that's going to run that territory, you've got to put up a million bucks of your own money to belong to the National Wrestling Alliance. And here are certain standards you have to adhere to for your talent 
And we, the main office in Chicago, Illinois, or Kansas City, Missouri, wherever you're going to put the main office, we get to say so on who your talent is. We, you know, we're going to encourage trades among the territories again. That kind of thing. I agree with you. I just think it needs to be the NWA doing it. Wow. A million is a really high number. That sets the bar really right. high. And it will, right. And so that's going to keep the jackasses out of it. Sure. Because I believe at the last <laughs> the last time I was involved with the NWA, it was like two hundred and fifty bucks and boom, baby, you're NWA <laughs> for life. Paid. <laughs> See? And that's what I'm talking about. And maybe a million's too high. You set the bar high enough to say, hey, we're gonna hold your money. This is a deposit to ensure that you comply with our standards to be an NWA territory. Right. But would you let them would you let them book the own territory or would you the office book the territory and go, hey, this is who I'm sending you, these three people like or these three cards or these three uh matches, matches rather. You book the undercard or whatever. Like how I would you do that? About it that far. <laughs> yeah, well now, yeah, the, the idea is still in its infancy, Rich, obviously. No. But- we're going to finish this tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what, Steve, go ahead. I was like, Steve will put up his deposit right now. <laughs> Get Billy Corgan on the phone. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that Billy Corgan could be doing. That uh, NWA coal fields. One thing I wish he would do is strike a deal with a belt maker because there is a shortage of NWA world titles out there in the world, and there needs to be some new ones. I'd like to see some new ones made by Billy Corgan. And, but he hasn't made a deal with anyone yet, from what I understand. Either way, the uh, the, the ratings are a problem, and someone has got to solve that problem. And both of you are negative motherfuckers. I, I, got, I got nothing from you guys except for it's it can't, it won't, and it shouldn't. So I guess we're just burning this whole thing to the ground. There's no there's no hope here. No. You didn't hear what what was you listened but you didn't hear. Oh, I, well, you, or you heard but I you heard, didn't but listen. Didn't Whichever listen. one that is, it's one of those. It's one of those two. Yeah, but it's here's the, the thing. No, we were positive, going. No, it's different. It's not the same now. It'll never be back. And I gave solutions. You may not have agreed with with, with these solutions, but I gave them. <laughs> I did my part here. Don't tell me I burned this shit to the ground. No, I got you. I got you. Well, I believe. I believe in something that we haven't seen that could save wrestling. And and I just wonder what that thing is. And it's, it's really a search that, that we have to be on right now, I believe. Now, if you look at boxing, eventually, you know, the boxing federations wanted to stay apart from one another for a long time, right? They didn't even not acknowledge one another's existence. Then they realized, hey, we need each other here. So we're going to have to have interpromotional matches and things. It may take that, Brian. It, it, it may That's, take... You know what? That is what scares the shit out of me is boxing. If wrestling became boxing, boxing can still exist because it's a sport. You know what I mean? And and this, if wrestling becomes boxing, people will lose complete interest and it will go away. That's what scares me. Well, but it won't. If you think of these different platforms, you know, because... Right now, everybody gets along, and and I think about the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs are getting ready to start, and March Madness, CBS has five or six networks that show that. 
Uh, the NBA playoffs start. Well, ABC is a Disney company, but you've got TNT, and it's owned by a different group. But they they don't help each other. But they say it, you know, Game Five is on ABC Sunday night at seven p.m. Well. It could kind of be like that. I think that's the only thing that's going to save wrestling uh, is is interpromotional matches where you don't know who booked that stuff, you know, and, and that's the problem right now. You've got these who knows what Hollywood writers in WWE. You've got some good people who could be helping Tony Khan with the book, but apparently he won't give it up. If you had a good booker who could book interpromotional matches and things like that and say, look, I've got the final say. You guys have to agree. I've got the final say on this. This is how these matches are going to go. And and when I say take the reins off these people, you look at a give give me a Roman Reigns and a Kenny Omega. You guys are going to go for thirty eight minutes in the main event, and uh, Omega goes over Reigns with a one winged angel. You guys work. You guys call it in the ring. Well, that would never happen. First off, because the person. If there were going to be interpromotional matches, the one person who would have a say over everything, as you said, would be Vince or and or Triple well, H. No, he, see, uh, maybe, maybe I'm thinking about a time after Vince dies. Okay, and and he well, has to give up that control. And you've got Hunter, and you've got Tony Khan, and you've got Billy Corgan. Let's call that group the Illuminati. All man, right? so so and, we we've got a burn. You got Scotty Diamore there from Impact. And you've got Tony Khan there from All Elite, Hunter there on World Wrestling Entertainment, Court Bauer from MLW, and whoever, Greg the Office Boy from Ring of Honor. All right? <laughs> and Well, it goes back to the old school NWA where they all had a meeting and they yeah. all decide what's going to happen. Right. Are, are you telling me that you couldn't put on a three or four night super card across networks across over a three or four night span of time a multi-promotional event that wouldn't draw people back who used to watch wrestling. Well, yeah, because if you have a four-night event or a three-night event, and like one night WWE gets some money, second night Impact gets some money, third night, you know, so and so gets New Japan or whatever. Like I mean, like if you split it up like that, then it's like oh, okay, that seems kind of fair. Everybody gets yeah. their own cut of the gate. It's up. And to I think go. that the beauty of it is, you you know, you don't let the fans backstage for that stuff, and you don't let them see how the sausage is getting made, and you let the guys call their matches. You let them do unscripted promos. Yeah, you know, and have four yeah. separate entrances. If there's four different companies, have them all come out of. We've all been sure, and, and it doesn't season. have to be a Survivor Series type thing. Like, well, this is Team ROH, and we're blah, blah, blah. no, it may be a Ring of Honor superstar versus an AEW superstar. You guys go in. You got eight minutes. So and so over so and so. Call it in the ring. Let's see what you can do. And you're going to have five promos the week before to build to build up interest. And you know what's interesting is that that recipe that you're talking about right there would push the cream of the crop right to the top. And 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 sure. it, it would bring out the best in absolutely everybody and it would also bring out the worst in people who can't hang. And it, it maybe the answer. It, it always has. I mean, you've handed some guys in in the 80s and the 90s a live mic and they've choked. Yeah. You know yeah. what? You get out there with a live mic of mine or the Illuminati, you get out there with a live mic of ours, and you choke. You will be curtain jerking in Poughkeepsie next week, pal. <laughs> you know, Poughkeepsie. Okay, let me say one thing here about how 
a big glaring difference between the Attitude Era and today's era. Uh, like The Rock, and this is a silly thing, but it's but it's relevant. The Rock hosted SNL five times. I believe he hosted SNL twice while he was with the WWE. Who is a big enough star today to host W or to host SNL? Anybody? The Miz. Wrong. The Miz. Wrong. Um, People would say who? If you big, if you book not Mike Mizanin as host of SNL, people would go who. How is that when his show gets better ratings than SNL? Does it? I would say. I I. I would I, look. I'm sure he would do a fine job, but that's a, but that's a pass. I say the closest one would be Roman Reigns, and the ones who should do it should be the New Day because they could actually act their ass off. They're funny. Xavier Woods and Biggie and Kofi would be great in sketches. Xavier Woods will be hired there tomorrow, but there is no star big enough or more well-known to host it. And that's a problem until they get somebody that is a household name. All right. So, like, so not to interrupt you, not to interrupt you, but Ms. and Mrs. has a rating of 4.4 and SNL has a rating of 3.1. What's the demo? <laughs> <laughs> Probably the same demo. Yeah, that, yeah, it was down. The last original February 27 with Nick Jonas was a 4.1. Well, either way, that's still under the Ms. and Mrs. Yeah, well. So I'm, I'm just saying Ms. would, would work, especially if he gets that part playing Johnny Cage in the new Mortal combat that i mean i feel sorry for Miz because he just has that aura about him where it's like pet nah, pass and i'm sure he could do it it just you just automatically go nah and i really do feel bad because you know he doesn't deserve that but i don't know maybe he did something bad in a past life i don't know i think well, he's uh, way out kicked <laughs> his coverage in life Every, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So imagine you know, how bad that thing was. WWE, Maurice, he's the second. You know, D level movies though they be, uh, he's way out kicked his coverage. He is the second most uh, successful reality TV star of all time, next to Donald Trump. I mean, who took reality TV and got you know got more success from it than the Miz? Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian was already rich. She doesn't count. I've already had this argument. We can go. Who who else you got? Who else you got? Duck I mean, I don't, I'm not even who Duck Dynasty. Who who the fuck did they ever beat? Nobody. <laughs> Miz beat John Cena at Wrestle Fucking Mania. So I don't know. RuPaul. The 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 point is Mike Paul. Mike Mizanin is 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 good Acknowledge enough to be RuPaul. <laughs> RuPaul <laughs> Acknowledge the head of the Ru, table. RuPaul did not get famous <laughs> from a reality show. She yeah, was already got more famous table for a night. She was Hell already yes, famous. Me too, brother. Mike Mizanin was just some dude that had some serious personality flaws, and he took that and shot it to the moon. I, I, and I became have, a rich guy with personality flaws. Yeah, and he's but, but he's a rich guy with personality flaws, and that's better than just being a guy with personality flaws. And he didn't. He wasn't shit when he got on uh, Road Rules and Real World and all that stuff. And he took that and wrote it to the moon. Only Donald Trump and Donald Trump technically was famous beforehand too so he's yeah well so, he was in home alone too yeah exactly so, so if he is disqualified then that means the miz is the most naturally made reality star to get as big as he did he, he's the best he's the one he's the one he's the neo of reality tv wow wow that's a, that's a I'm, what a sad discussion this was. All right, I'm going to end the segment there. We'll be right back with Nick Aldis on House of Kayfabe. House of Kayfabe.
Hey there, everybody. This is Stephen P. New from the House of Kayfabe. And I just want to tell you that uh, in addition to being a co-host on House of Kayfabe, I am, in fact, a lawyer licensed to practice law in the state of West Virginia and other states by special permission. My law office is at newtaylorlaw.com. We handle all types of personal injury matters, discrimination, wrongful death cases, and do certain cases outside of the state of West Virginia and the Commonwealth of Kentucky uh, just based upon uh, selectivity and what that case may be. I have cases right now in probably nine to ten different states. We get admitted what's called pro hoc vice by special permission to practice in other states. So if you or a loved one have need of a lawyer, give us a shout at 304-250-6017 or at www.newtaylorlaw.com. Let us see if we can help you on the law firm side of the house. And also, for those of you who may not know, I am also co-owner of a sports agency that's called New Legacy Sports. And we just recently opened a professional wrestling wing of that. We have done great work on behalf of such super superstars as Midnight Express and Jim Cornette, Shane Douglas, Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, Joey Mercury, Kelly Klein, Sonny, the Rock and Roll Express, and the Heat Seekers, among others. Uh, that wing of our sports agency just keeps growing. And right now we have uh, training for individuals who are trying to make it in the National Football League, Canadian Football League, or the XFL when The Rock gets it going. So if you need to get in touch with me, just give me a call at the office, 304-250-6017. Thank you guys so much. K-Fabe Radio. And we're back here on WWKR, K-Fabe Radio, the only radio station devoted solely to music about, for, and by professional wrestlers. I am your host, Rich Quick, broadcasting all the way from Budapest to Big Creek. Today's show is brought to you by The Vaccine. We know some people are scared, some people think it's fake, and some people just plain old miss polio. But please, get the shot. It's just a little prick. And something tells me you're used to it. Plus, each vaccination gets you an autographed picture of Ricky Martin. WWKR, Kayfabe Radio, I am your host, Rich Quick. And our next song is one of my personal favorites. A, because it's a good song. And B, because there is no way you could do this shit today. Here is Exotic Adrian Street with Sweet Transvestite with a Broken Nose. I could be a tulip. I could be a man. The only way of knowing is to catch me if you can You can suppose what you wanna suppose But I'm a sweet transvestite with a broken nose I've got to be royalty, my blood must be blue I'm king of the ring and queen of it too Have you ever seen muscles on a rose? I'm just a sweet transvestite with a broken nose I'll kiss you or I'll kick you, that's what I like the best I'm as tough as Marciano and as sexy as Mae West As cute as Shirley Temple, as fast as Bruce Lee I could kill a man eventually I'm a poison peacock, an atomic butterfly 
You'd better give me room or kiss your teeth goodbye. I hate Joan Collins, but love her taste in clothes. I'm a sweet transvestite with a broken nose. I can be cruel, I can be kind. A butch or a bitch can't make up my mind. I can have a shave while I'm varnishing my toes. I'm just a sweet transvestite with a broken nose. I'll kiss you or I'll kick you, that's what I like the best. I'm as tough as Marciano and as sexy as Mae West. As cute as Shirley Temple, as fast as Bruce Lee. I could kill a man eventually. I love chains, leather and lace, and Neanderthal man with an angel face. Metal studded unders, G-strings with bows. I'm a sweet transvestite with a broken nose. If you're a he, she or it, you'd better answer my calls. I'm like King Kong with lipstick, Fay Ray with balls. I'll wear mink and sable when the cold wind blows. Cause I'm a sweet transvestite. Okay, Fabe, and I'm sitting here with uh, my best buddy, Stephen P. New. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? Well, I'm actually doing pretty freaking good because you pulled off uh, a great one. You know, we, we, we've been talking about this throughout the episode, and now it's finally time where it's, it's time for us to talk to the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Nick Aldis. And Nick Aldis is here with us. Hello, Nick. Welcome to the house of Kayfabe. Oh, thank you, Brian. It's it's a house I'm very familiar with. And, uh, <laughs> Mr. New, always a pleasure. How are you guys doing? It is always a pleasure to be in your presence, champ. Thank you so much for joining us. You're too kind. Man, this is like having legit royalty on the show. I'm I I, I don't even know what to say, Steve. You you've really you've really outdone yourself. Well, that's a good I've been watching the crowd lately. I feel like bowing. <laughs> your, your highness. Brian, I, I, I hope when you said you don't know what to say, you were speaking figuratively, because otherwise it's going to be a terrible podcast. Oh, yeah, it's, it's going to be terrible. I hope you're ready for this. No, I do actually have a shit ton to say. I've got a lot of things that I'd like to ask you about, but, you know, I just I, I've got to get started in the right place, which is the very beginning. And I want to know, you know, I was looking around at all the different places that you trained. I noticed that you had went to the Harley Race uh, Wrestling Academy and, and a couple of other places here and there. there there's a lot, mm-hmm. actually, a lot of people that were involved in training you. Um, tell me about the beginning. I know that you were quite the athlete before you even started with professional wrestling. So tell me a little bit about before professional wrestling and how you got to it. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I grew up in rural England, you know, I think that I think it's often uh, it's, it's funny for people to to hear that, because I think there's a lot of assumption that I was an urbanite, you know, probably, you know, people sort of think that I grew up in London or Cambridge or somewhere like that. But I was a country boy. I grew up in docking a little village, probably had a thousand people in it. And um so when you when you grow up in, in rural Norfolk like that, you know, you, you, you know, I was one of those, I was one of those sort of kids that was, when I got home from school, like we all went, I was outside until it got dark. You know, it was uh, me and my buddies, so, you know, we'd, we'd go we'd play football or we'd play tennis in the summer or we'd go climbing trees or whatever it was. It was like, 
So just an active kid. My dad was a rugby player, uh, you know, in his younger years. So sports was always a big part of our lives. So I played football. I, I swam at the national championship levels in high school and uh, played tennis to a pretty high level. So it's just I chose wrestling. You know, it wasn't it, – it was sort of uh, – I fell in love with it around, I mean, I'd always been a fan, always been aware of it, but I really sort of really latched onto it in my early teens. And then I started lifting weights and like literally preparing for it from the minute. Once I formulated in my mind, like I'm going to, I'm going to have a go at this, believe it or not. And I know it's shocking considering some of the wrestlers that exist today, but when I decided I wanted to be a wrestler, the first thing I did was go and lift weights and <laughs> try to build up my body, you know, and, and uh, what's so it like being a, my focus. What's yeah. it like being a fan in England? Of course, you know, I'm I'm from from the US. I've never been to England in any way. When you're a fan in England, are you a fan of WWE stars? Are yeah. you a fan of, of of the stuff that we're watching? Or are you watching something totally different? Well, no, I mean, I have to I have to admit when i was uh when i was a kid i mean it was wwf that was it i mean you know the 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 the, i would have to try to explain this to people but everyone knew who every wrestler in wwf was like you didn't even if you didn't watch the show i certainly when i was a kid a little kid i certainly didn't watch it religiously i barely watched it regularly but I still knew who everybody was because of that. And that's a testament to how good their marketing is and was, I mean, you know, everybody knew who Hulk Hogan, the ultimate warrior, the undertaker, the Legion of doom, earthquake and typhoon, earthquake and typhoon were so over in the UK. Like I tried to try to explain this to people. Like when I was a kid, me and my brother would be like, Oh, earthquake and typhoon. Like and, <laughs> so uh, the natural disasters were over yeah, man. in England, and, but and, not in America, <laughs> not at all. And, you know, because when you're a kid, you're just like, you know, the, the, it was the giants, you know, you just, so it was all, you know, it was kind of like, we looked at it like a shoot, you know, oh yeah, who, he could beat him, you know, but Bret Hart was my first hero. He was like my first real sort of idol and um, obviously Davy boy. And, uh, and then just right around the time where Bret was adding some edge to his character when he turned heel and was sort of doing the anti-American type stuff and, you know, his, he obviously had his, his rivalry with Sean and they were sort of going into the early days of DX and all that. That's, that's when I really started going, oh man, I just, I, I think I want to, I want to be more than just a fan of this. I want to do this one day. Wow. So did you ever get a chance to, uh, to, to meet Brett? Have you ever talked to Brett? No, you know, it's so funny because I've met, obviously I've been very privileged to meet, um, you know, and, and even work with, you know, a, a huge amount of, guys that I grew up watching and, and idolized, but Brett has always eluded me. Always. <laughs> Even at conventions and stuff like that. I'm always like, Oh, you know, I, I think I've been, I think Brett was at WrestleCade one year I was there, but he, he was in his own room and you know, he's sort of, you know, kind of in and out and obviously we're all busy doing our own stuff. So it just never happened. Wow. That's interesting. I, f- I figured you would have, have made that dream come true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, you just don't really. Um, I guess I always just worked on the assumption that I would run into him one day, right? You know, something. Champ, I I know that many heavyweight champions like yourself started out as fans, and it sounds like you were you went from being aware that there was a WWF to being kind of a casual fan to being to the point where 
you're talking about that very early attitude era time frame and and you're like i want to make this what i do for a living so you start lifting weights uh uh how were your family and friends receptive to hey you you know those guys that everybody's aware of who wrestle on television i want to do that too yeah. what was the family's reaction when you said that i <laughs> i think that from my parents point of view certainly my mother was not thrilled uh with with my I think they were happy for me to be a fan of it. And I think they could tell by the time I probably got to sort of 14, 15, I think they could tell that like I was, I mean, I was, I was a, a, I was an absolute fan. I mean, I was a complete mark. I mean, I, you know, I would consume everything. I, you know, bought all the books, all the you know magazines and, you know, would, would get my hands on everything I could. Uh, and so I clearly, they, they understood that I had a, a passion for it, but I don't think, I, I, I think they probably wrote it off as a fad, you know, it's like I would just be into this for a while and then I'll, I'll move on to something else. And then by the time I went, I, I mean, I saw, I went to go train when I was 17 and when I, that was the first time where there was any real sort of discussion about it. It wasn't like I talked about it much with them. So sort of, I really want to do this one day. I just, I was just kind of working towards it myself kind of, you know, and, uh, and then when, when I learned about the Knight family having a camp about an hour away from, from where I lived, I was like, great, I can go to that. And that's when it was kind of like, wait, you want to do that? You're like, do you want to do what? You know, and, uh, and, uh, my mom was obviously very, she, because by that point, even, even they were somewhat smartened up to the business just because the way the business had changed, like you had tough enough and, all these sorts of things were coming on TV. So everyone sort of became a bit more privy to, okay, this is not, it's, it's a tough business, you know? And I think just because of my, of my own level of fandom, they, they had been exposed to it enough to understand about some of the pitfalls of the business, because again, that was stuff that was sort of new that was starting to be talked about more. They were kind of, you know, the people, the WWF and, and others were kind of, uh, embracing that and telling the real stories about, you know, what a, what a tough business it can be. So I think from my mom's point of view, she was just kind of like, I don't know, you know, who, who would, who would want their who would want their children to get into something that they heard so many horror stories about is understandable. But my dad had a different take because like I said, he'd been a pro rugby player. Um, and his, he very simply said to me, if you're going to go do it, go do it, but commit to it and do it properly, you know, approach it like a professional. And I always have. And you were like, yes, sir. I'll go be the NWA <laughs> world champion. Well, it's really funny. I'm, I'm 49 years old. I'm, I'm older than both you and Brian. And I have a, a, a 17 soon to be 18 year old daughter who's an aspiring Broadway actress. And her mother and I have tried to do everything that we can to give her those tools if she wants to do that. But um, <laughs> I'm not old enough to be your dad, uh, but I'm seeing myself now more in that role of, you know, when young Nick Aldis was 17, I, you know, that's who I see myself uh, sure. in that role now in, in this, in this kind of thing, because, you know, I've got a daughter who wants to move 
from Beckley, West Virginia to New York City at the age of 18. I'm just kind of scratching my head, but, you know, I don't think parents, uh, you never squelch dreams, you, you know. Sure. Uh, you, you tell your kids to go for it, and it sounds very much like uh, after the shock wears off. You know, my parents, don't, don't worry, though, champ. My parents also hoped that I would grow out of the fad that was the sport of professional wrestling, and I haven't <laughs> either. So, yet again, another thing you and I have in common. Yeah, but, yeah, but except you went on to be a lawyer, which is, you know. <laughs> It's a, a much safer profession. Well, sometimes maybe you know, maybe just as unscrupulous. But I, I was going to say, I don't know. I don't know if you know Steve too well. I mean, he, I would not say yeah, he's safe in safe any situation. May have, safe may have been, a, may, may not have been the perfect word there, but uh, less less damaging on your body. Less right. less. Well, we can say that for sure because if somebody tries to damage Steve's body, God, they're going to get sued quick. Right, I was say. All, right, all right, so Ricky Knight. Ricky Knight was first. Yeah. He was the first guy. Yeah. Ricky Knight, the rowdy man. The rowdy man. So uh, Ricky Knight uh, got you started, but you were trained by more than just Ricky Knight. Where, where else? Yeah. Uh, you know, where else did this training thing lead you? Well, so the, so the Knights they are they are genuinely a family business. Like when they, the wrestling is the family business with them. Uh, so in addition to running the camps that they they could, um, and by camps I mean the holiday camps, like which for Cliff Notes version for people who don't know is a series of coastal resorts in the UK uh, that are, you know, that are sort of vacation spots for people. But part of the, part of the sort of package is free entertainment every night, cabaret entertainment. So one night it might be comedian next night. It might be a, you know, ABBA tribute band. And then one night it'll be wrestling and wrestling has always been a staple of all of those holiday parks because it's cheap and it's easy and, you know, low maintenance. Um, and for a lot of wrestlers in our, you know, in the business in the UK, that was like, that was their bread and butter, you know? So, and um, so they had their own camps. So, and obviously promoted their own shows in, in various towns, uh, predominantly in, in the East. So they were only running their training school when they could fit it in around their work, working in the business. Um, so even though the camps were good, uh, and I would always credit Ricky and Julia for giving me my start. I, I just wanted more reps. I just wanted to. I just wanted to practice more, and, and because they booked me pretty quickly too. I mean, I went to a couple of camps, and then I found myself being in you know battle royals and six man tags and stuff like. It was very much like sort of breaking in in the old territory type type of way because it was it was kind of like all right, here's the basics. Now you learn the rest, kind of <laughs> in the ring, you know. Um, and I just, I wanted to, I wanted to get better at this and I wanted to practice and learn. And, um, I found out about a school called Dropkicks Academy, which was down near London and they would run every, they were, they were every Sunday. And the, uh, it's interesting that you brought this up because the, the head, the head trainer and the, the organizer of Dropkicks, uh, was another guy that I really credit a lot of my a career to a guy called Frank Reimer who actually just passed away this week. And he was such a great guy. He was so, um, so passionate about helping like young kids get into the business. Uh, he was uh, an absolute student of the old school world of sports style of British wrestling um, was really well connected with, 
loads of the big names from that era. So, you know, during the course of my time there, you know, Mal Sanders would come in or Mick McManus, you know, Mel Stewart, like Wayne Bridges, and then Doug Williams came in. Uh, and these guys, you know, these guys, because they all respected Frank and they respected the program, they would come in and like help out the guys and roll around with us. And uh, I mean, I was trained by an old shooter called John Hall, who, you know, kind of broke you in the kind of shooter kind of style, like, you know, put you in a lot of holds and, you know, see saw what you could take. And um, <clears throat> so I think I, and I, I sort of realized pretty quick that I wanted to pick up different bits from different places and different people. You know? And um, uh, that, that gave me such a good foundation. I mean, the, the guys that came through that school were like Marty Skull, myself, Wade Barrett, Shah Samuels, who's now in NXT, NXT UK. I mean, a whole host of guys. Um, Danny Birch came through that school. Like we, we all sort of went through there at some point and rolled around and you know worked on our craft. And I think that um, between that and and Paddy's training, it was like Paddy's training really trained me for the business, like itself. Whereas you know drop kicks, it was that, that you know that that taught me a lot more technique and helped me refine my skills. But like Paddy's training kind of really broke me into the business. Like all right, this is here's how it works and toughen up kind of thing. Well, before we leave England and go to your career in the U.S., I want to ask you. We were talking about uh, you as a fan, and, and WWF was all that you seen. Does that mm. mean that people like Ric Flair uh, were were not? really on your radar unless they were in the WWE, you know, in 92, I guess he would have been, right, but you right. know, were, were other NWA wrestler like sting was sting a part of any of your upcoming sting. I did know about, you know, that, that that's, it's funny you mentioned flair and sting because I think they're the two guys that kind of transcended their promotion. Um, and it was again, a testament to how over they were because even though I didn't watch, I saw a little bit of WCW, but WCW didn't have anywhere near the TV presence that WWF had um, in the nineties in the UK. So it was kind of like you had to sort of, you had to look for it. You had to know what you were looking for. Right. And, um, but obviously, but I knew who Sting was and I, and everyone knew, everyone knows who Ric Flair is like, he's a, he's a cultural icon, you know, he transcends, he transcends the business. But, um, Certainly, when when the NWO and all that, that angle kind of kicked off, like it, you definitely became more aware of it. But to me, again, it's still I personally, and this is and this is not a knock on them or, or Eric or anything like that. But it just for me, but as a kid, I it just it never grabbed my attention. I was always kind of like, yeah, WCW's the you know yeah, it's the other one, number two. Mm. You know, uh, I didn't have the but again that was just because at that point in time I was so invested in the WWF because of Brett and because then like rock and Steve Austin and stuff like that. It was just, uh, I, it, I was aware of it, but it, it didn't grab me the same way. It was only later on when I really fell in love with the business on a different level that I start, I became a student of the game and just, and went back and just, you know, watched everything I could, so when we're talking about you coming up in England, I mean, of course you had all types of matches before you ever got over here to uh, the United States. How does some a place like Total Nonstop Action 
come in contact with Nick Aldis? How does this, how does this deal come about? Well, I mean the 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 main the main part of that, that that you have to equate in is the fact that I was I was on a TV show called Gladiators, which was a huge huge TV show. Oh, that's um, right. You were you so, were a, the UK Gladiator, right. yeah. That was my big break. Like that was really my break more than you know that sort of the uh, I had been I had been a full time wrestler for probably a year a year and change. Uh, like after I had after I had been training for a while because of, after meeting Doug, like Doug sort of put me over to a few different promoters and then they booked me and then, you know, and then I would get booked some more and, and, you know, you start to kind of get on the independent circuit a little bit. And everywhere I went, everyone said, you should go work for Brian Dixon. You should go work for Dixon. Brian Dixon's the number one promoter in Europe. He's a number one, he was a number one promoter in the UK by a long, long way. And he had tons of shows. So you could work full time for him. So I pretty much sort of, once I started working for Brian, I was wrestling like five or six days a week. And it was like, that was it. I was a wrestler. Like, <laughs> right. So when I went to go do Harley races camp, I took time off from wrestling to do that. And then when I, by the time I came back, I wrestled a little bit more, uh, went back on the circuit, but I, I got an audition for something and got, got this short, short term gig doing like a, a little acting gig. And off the back of that, the director was an agent as well. And his agency, he put me in for the Gladiators auditions and I got it. And it was like, I mean, I, you know, you hear people use the term sort of overnight fame or overnight sort of success or whatever. And it, but it, I mean, this was the, this was, this was certainly the, the closest I'll ever come to experiencing that. I mean, because it was, we were, there was so much attention on the return of that show because it was such a big deal in the nineties uh, that there was huge, media kind of presence there was huge media following for the announcement of the cast and everything like that that we were all sort of shrouded in secrecy you know we were kind of taken to photo shoots and stuff at two in the morning under cover of darkness so no one would see us and you know and we did all the stuff and then literally on one day they went boom here it all is and and the next day my phone was just like ringing non-stop like you know it's, it was because all these people were just sort of waking up the next day and going out and then they're seeing like my face on a billboard or a bus or a bus stop or a tube station or whatever. And they're going like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, cause the only people that knew about it were me and, and, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time and my parents really. So it was kind of like what? everyone else went, what the hell? Like, <laughs> so I did that and that was such a, I had such a huge profile from that, that when, you know, when I got sort of, when I got, when I became well known for being on that show, I got obviously approached by wrestling media because they were like, Oh, he's a wrestler on the UK independent scene, you know? So I did an interview with FSM magazine who I then ended up being a columnist for, for like 10 years. But at the time they were, they had a good relationship with TNA and that particular issue was the first time that a non WWE guy had been on the cover and it was AJ Styles. And it was because TNA was, it was sort of a testament to how well TNA was doing in the UK market at that time that they felt confident to run with AJ on the cover. Wow. So obviously it was a big deal to the office at TNA. So they, so they get a copy of this magazine and then they sort of start flipping through it and then they go, wait, who's this guy? <laughs> 
and it just, you know because they were looking for UK talent because it was a strong market for them and it was and it, I mean I was I was visiting my family in Canada and I got an email from James who was the editor and he was just like Dixie Carl wants to give you a call can I give you know can I give you your contact details and I went sure yeah I mean and 10 minutes later like <laughs> Dixie's contacting me and basically going do you want to come work for TNA I mean it was really straightforward well, you know, at the beginning you were uh, you were doing the Brutus Mac, uh, Magnus thing, and then yeah. then kind of dropped the Brutus part and went into the full on British invasion. I know you knew Doug Williams beforehand. Uh, was this the first time you met Rob Terry, or had you known him beforehand yeah. too? No, no, I I had heard about Rob Terry. Like it was funny because I, me and and Drew McIntyre both had a little sponsorship deal with like a little supplement company in the UK. And we would see periodically one of the other companies sponsored this guy, Rob Terry. And we would see these pictures of him when he was like 19 and he was jacked and like, you know, and he was like Mr. Wales. And we were going like, Oh God, like, look at this. Cause me and Drew fancied ourselves as body guys, you know? So we, and then we saw this guy. And then the next thing we heard is like, Oh, WWE signed this guy. And we were like, what? Like he'd never even wrestled, you know, he'd never wrestled <laughs> before in his life. For the, you know, Johnny Ace picked him up at muscle mania and just was like, Hey, do you want to be a wrestler? You know, you want to go wrestle for WWE? So it was kind of like, wait, that guy that we always see in the catalog, like, ah, you know, like, cause we already hated him cause he was more jacked than us. And, um, and, and yeah. And then it was like, I, he was doing, he was training with Bubba and Devon. So then when they when they came up with the idea to do the British invasion, they were like, Oh, there's this guy Rob Terry and I went, I know who Rob Terry is. Like <laughs> he's just he's just like the he's the sweetest guy, man. He's just the nicest guy you'll ever meet. What um, happened with him in WWE? I mean you said that he got it. Just, I just think it didn't work out. I mean, he was so green, you know, he did like he you know, he'd never wrestled before and it was just I think uh, presumably it was just one of those situations where they just didn't want to take the time to get him ready you know because i mean you, you you know it's not like a kurt angle right it's not like you're taking a guy who like a natural athlete like rob was a bodybuilder like you know he had some natural he had some athletic ability but it wasn't his sort of primary focus you know so it was kind of like you had to you know he had to retrain his whole body mechanics and once he did i actually feel like he could have he could he could have stuck at it longer and and you know, done okay. I just think he was overexposed too early. As a fan, this is my first time ever, ever like seeing you is when you came to TNA with the British invasion. And so this is my first introduction to, uh, to Nick Aldis. And I I liked it. I, I, I dug the British invasion, but looking at it on a scale of everything you've done afterwards, you can't look too highly on it, right? Because you've you've outdone it so many different times. Do you look at this as a as a positive from your career, or do you look at it as just just the beginning? The British invasion, I do for sure. Like the the Brutus Magnus part, I try to forget. But you know, the, but the um, yeah, no, I, the tag team, it 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 really it saved my career. I, I wouldn't have lasted at TNA because I was given this total albatross gimmick. And I was way too green to know how to, A, how to pull it off, and B, how to sort of navigate the waters politically to sort of, hey, how do I not do this anymore? Right. Uh, and thankfully, like, Terry Taylor came to me one day and was just like, hey, good news, because he knew I hated the gimmick. You know, he was, 
Terry was like, good news. We're dropping the Gladiator gimmick and you're forming a tag team with Doug Williams. And I, I mean, I swear to God, I was like, I could have cried. I was just like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, because also, I love tag team wrestling. And TNA's tag team division at the time was on fire. It was. You know, you had Beer Money, who were the hottest acts in the company. You know, the Dudleys. You had Booker T and Scott Steiner. You had the Machine Guns. You know, it was like, tag teams is where I was at. And it was like, I was just like, oh, Yes, like I totally have a place there. Like we can, you know, we can make money in that because we could be the heels for, and we were for the next year. We were the heel team to wrestle against the Dudleys and go through a table, or to wrestle beer money and get smashed with a beer bottle and get hit that finish one two three. Like, and that was, you know, that kept me, that kept us working. We did all the house shows. You know, we were on TV every week. You know, it was like because, and that's how I got over with a lot of the boys too because I was a big. 6'4", 240-pound kid who was happy to go up and take bumps for all of them and, you know, get headbutted in the nuts every night, uh, you know, go through a table every night, no questions asked. <laughs> well, you know, I, I really dug this, uh, but, it, it, you know, you really showed out to me when you and Samoa, Samoa Joe started your feud. That that really put you on the map for me because at that time I was like, you know, okay, the British invasion, that's cool. But then I was like, "Oh, this is this is top level shit right here," and I was I was blown away by the feud. And then the tag team just yeah. made it even better. Uh, what right. was what was that whole time like with Samoa Joe? I, you know, you said you're a tag team wrestling fan. This this was a great tag team for you. Yeah, I mean, well, the period between the British invasion and then eventually getting into the stuff with Joe was like more floundering. But you know, because TNA was you have to you have to understand that. TNA was like, it had a revolving door of upper management. So every new guy that would come in, be it, like, let's, you know, let's like just, just in my time there, like Vince Russo was the final say, you know, creatively when I first got there, then it was Eric Bischoff. Then it was Bruce Pritchard. Then it was John Gaburik. So in six years I was there, I had four different bosses. Like, so he never had more than like a year and a half for two years to consistently sort of get on track with a, with the booker. So who are they going to, you know, every, every single, every one of those, with the exception of Russo and Gaburik, because by the time Gaburik came in, I was, I was more established. It was like, they didn't know who I was. So it didn't matter what I'd done. It didn't, they, you know, they hadn't really watched the product. So it was like they didn't know that I had improved and I was like busting my ass on all the house shows and I was like, you know, working with all these top guys trying to get better and sort of, you know, prove myself in a tag team and yada, yada, yada. They were just like, who's this kid? Oh, 23, 24, uh, England? Uh, who cares? Oh, oh, this guy just left WWE? Oh, I know him. Like, I'll give him a push. And that was pretty much like how the next year and a half went for me. So when I got stuck with Joe, I was just like, it was the lifeline because I was I knew how over Joe was even if they didn't. And <laughs> I was such a fan of his that working with him, it was so easy because it was like, I knew all this stuff sort of by heart and instinctively and knew how to sort of plug it into my shit. And it was like, it was just, it, Joe's so good that it was just so easy. And he gave me the rub. He gave me that credibility that I needed, especially when we teamed up because it was not only, well, we at one point I think we were probably the most over guys like act in the company for a short period there, but we went to Japan and and I mean my first show in Japan, like <laughs> we beat Akiyama and Saito for the Noah tag titles 
June Akiyama. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, obviously most of that is because of Joe, but it's like, I got that rub. You did. That's a fucking huge rub. Huge. I owe a lot to Joe for that. Did you ever see champ, um, champ, TNA ran Beckley, West Virginia, where I live now and, and Brian grew up. Uh, you ever remember wrestling here I in do. West Virginia? Any? I do. Like TNA's best house show markets were all were all the sort of, you know, and I mean this with love, all the kind of podunk kind of towns, like the You're smaller here. markets. Do you know what I mean? Like we, we you know, it was from a, from a nightlife level, you know, from a, as a, as a kid in his twenties, you know, with money in his pocket and not a lot of responsibilities, like, sure. Yeah. It's fun to go to, you know, the big major markets, uh, Chicago or Cleveland or New York or, you know, whatever. But from a, from a, a professional satisfaction standpoint, we would do these little loops in like Kentucky or, you know, West Virginia or, and we, and we kill them. Like, you know, like it was so much more satisfying to be in a, uh, like, you know, American Legion hall or something like that that was packed, like, and the place was rocking, than it was to be in a in a hockey arena with like seven hundred people where you can, you know, where you can hear a pin drop. Like, right. So it was sort of I, I always had a lot of affection for doing those towns because, like, like I said, I'd become a student of the game and I had. I started to realize, like, I'd really, that's one of the reasons why I went to Harley's camp, because I, I idolized Triple H, I have to say that, admit that, but because of Hunter, I, I then became a huge fan of Harley, because I would, I would always hear the comparisons, so then I started going, like, well, you know, let me get back, and then I started going, holy shit, how good Harley Race was, you know, like, just, just started to realize, like, how many sort of subtle nuances he had, and how, like, legitimate he was, and everything, and, how generous he was. He took sixty bucks for people like super giving in the ring. He bought, you know, he bought his ass for the right people. So it was kind of like that's how I've tried to model myself. And uh, so I think between all those elements, there was something to, I first I fall in love with wrestling. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's why when I talk about the NWA now. I go, you know, one of the reasons I have faith in what we're doing in the current climate is because I think fucking wrestling. I really do. And we're and the NWA is wrestling and we're proud of it. Right. We're not trying to shy away from it. We're like and we're not hating on anyone else for doing the things they're doing, but if you want to see where you ain't gonna see over choreographed dance routine kind of matches with the NWA and you aren't going to see overproduced miniature movies. You're going to see wrestling and that's what we do. And we do it well. It's very funny to hear an Englishman say wrestling. Don't you think it's funny to hear an Englishman say wrestling? No, I I know he was married to, and I know she was a (laughs) wrestling fan before she became a professional wrestler as well. So I don't think it's strange at all to hear an Englishman say wrestling. Uh, just he's got the ten pounds of gold. If anyone is allowed to say wrestling right now, I believe it's it's, it's Nick Aldis. You're right. Okay. That's well, nice. and I just you know at this point it's kind of we're but when I say it, everyone knows what I mean. Yeah. 
you know, it, like, so it's almost like I'm describing a, a new version of the genre, even though it's an old version. It's kind of like, hey, if, if that's how we do, because wrestling almost need. I think at this point, I think that's one of the reasons why you see so much, you know, divisiveness and and conflict between wrestling fans now is because there are so there are subgenres now, and it's like to sort of define those a little bit. And, and be like, all right, look, this is, it's like dancing. You're like ballroom dancing, there's break dancing, there's, you know, modern dancing. Go dancing. Yeah. And it's like, we're, we're, you know, there's, there's, there's sort of high spot choreographed sort of wrestling. There's, there's, you know, WWE kind of Hollywood style TV wrestling. And then there's wrestling. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. And I think like we wrestling. Well, I mean, you guys were obviously really on to something um, with power and the reaction that you guys got. And like I said, I'm 49 years old. The first wrestling I ever watched was wrestling. It was Angelo Poffo's ICW with Randy Savage right. and Leaping Lanny and Ronnie Garvin and, and Hustler Rip Rogers and those guys. And they ran these same small towns. But then, you know, I, I watched Power the first night that it, it debuted. I'm telling you, there was a, a visceral reaction. There was a palpable reaction amongst wrestling fans. Guys my age, guys who grew up uh, watching and being exposed and going to the house shows of the NWA uh, the territories, Georgia, Mid-Atlantic, that kind of stuff. Um, there was a reaction to power. We we knew what it looked like. We knew that it looked like the Crockett's old studio, that it looked like the, the old Georgia championship or the Florida championship wrestling with Gordon Soley. And you guys paying so much homage to that. Um, you know, but for COVID, I don't know where the NWA would be right now, but but I'm telling you, you know this because you're a very smart man. Uh, that's a magic formula for success, champ, and, and I think that you know that, right? Right. Well, that's why I committed to it. You know, it's, and I, I think it's 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 been it's become quite well known that that I was offered an AEW deal and I politely declined. You know, because I because I wanted to stay put with the NWA. I wanted to. Because I really believed in what we were doing, and I still do. Um, and I felt like it was uh, it was sustainable, um, given that I really believe there's a, a desire. And I think a, a huge portion of people out there who would watch wrestling again if it was like this. So in many ways, I think it's good. Almost like I feel like we're doing something good for the whole industry because I can, I can tell you uh, just from my own uh, anecdotal experience that I've met one of the most satisfying things about being with, you know, doing what I've done with the NWA is I've met people uh, to your point in, in predominantly in the Southeast, but especially in the mid Atlantic area, uh, you know, in the Georgia area who, you know, have told me, like with tears in their eyes, 
I watched this, you know, I used to watch wrestling with my dad or I used to watch it with my granddad. And it was like, it was one thing that we shared and it was so, you know, it was one thing we had in common. And, and when wrestling changed, like he, he lost interest in it. I showed him, I, I put NWA Power on the TV and he and his face lit up and he was just like, all right, I can get on board with this. And it was so amazing. And, you, you know, you don't know what this means to me. And now my son loves it too, because there's all these new characters that he likes. And I said, you know, that's the point. That's why we're doing it right there, because we're not, it's not like we're Civil War reenactors putting on costumes and like fucking about in the woods for a laugh. <laughs> right. We're doing this. Well, what I mean is we're not doing it like we're not doing it for our own amusement, like as a vanity project. We're doing it because we genuinely believe that it's it has a it, it's it's a a viable approach to, to you know to carve out a, a, a niche for ourselves in a in a very crowded market. And when we we've seen the feedback and we and we look at our we look at our analytics and we look at our numbers. It's like it, it, it's proven because we have a very strong eighteen to forty nine male kind of portion of our audience, and even though there are some older, there are also some younger. And what's happening is, is for, for the people who remember that type of thing, it's nostalgic. And for people who don't, it's something new. It's just a different version of this genre that no one else is doing. And we nail it. And when we came up with that aesthetic and we designed all that and we, you know, we sort of conceptualized the whole show, the, the underlying premise, my, my input to that was basically... I've heard all the things where Flair would say things to the effect of, and Han and other guys have said, you know, if Jim Crockett had never ventured further than Chicago or, you know, Georgia or whatever, well, you know, I forget where his, where his sort of, his main sort of territory kind of ended. But if he had, if he, if he'd stayed within his, his strong territory, he wouldn't have gone out of business. Right. You know, and they always maintain that if he'd have, if he'd have played to his strengths and just cultivated their base that liked the rest, the wrestling, the way that they did it, they could still be in business today. So my, my premise was kind of like, let's say that happened. What would his TV show look like today? So we borrowed a little bit from Georgia and we borrowed a little bit from mid Atlantic and, you know, mid South and other things, but we kind of said it's, you know, traditional values with modern delivery, modern, Day, you know. We will have part two of this awesome interview on the next episode of House of Kayfabe. We'll be right back. At the law office of Stephen New, we take a team approach to your case. Our staff and paralegals are excellent and will assist you through every step of your case. We employ world-class experts to make sure that your case is developed to its maximum value. When you seek legal counsel, choose Stephen New and his team. They'll work together to achieve the best results for your case and support you every step of the way. Our clients, why we do what we do the law office of Stephen New. The thoughts and opinions of Steve Barker do not reflect the thoughts and opinions of House of Kayfabe, Superior Radio Network, or any of our partners or advertisers. I interrupt this Outlaw Mud Show podcast to bring you some actual entertainment. This is where I, Steve Barker, trusted member of the pro wrestling media, informs you good people of what the major promotions are doing wrong. But today, I'll be telling you what they should be doing right. And before I say his name, and to keep my integrity intact, I have put this man over at least two times on previous episodes, 
episodes, and my ex-girlfriend will attest that I've been a fan of this man since the British invasion in TNA. And if you ask her, say hello to my dog for me. Nick Aldis is a star, and far too many wrestling fans don't know it yet. In the immortal words of David Crockett, Look at him, Tony. Look at him. He looks like a star. He talks like a star, and he wrestles like a star, and he carries himself like the champion that he is. Why am I watching WWE without this man on my TV? I see Baron Corbin, but I don't see Mr. Aldis. Unfortunately, I see The Miz far too often, but Nick is nowhere to be found. Now look, I root for the NWA success, and I'm glad that the 10 pounds of gold is being defended by such a stud, but a cursory search of NWA's YouTube channel shows that their last episode has as many views as a TikToker dancing to peanut butter jelly time. And no, I'm not bearing the NWA, because A, I grew up watching the NWA at 6.05 on Saturdays, and two, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness is a masterpiece. So Billy Corgan, I root for you always and forever, but it is time for Nick Aldis to take his rightful place at the top of the sport. And unfortunately for all of us right now, that's the WWE. And not so fast, AEW Marks. He does not need to be signed there. The last thing this man needs to be is one of 73 wrestlers that appear on Dynamite. I want to see Nick Aldis in the main event at WrestleMania, not participating in a run-in after a Jelly Nutella match. He deserves so much better. Now, if my well-crafted argument isn't enough to convince you, I posit this. If you're a regular listener to the House of Kayfabe, you know that the seven cranky bastards that make up this expert, wonderful podcast can't come to a consensus on a damn thing. Hell, when we all meet up at WrestleCade this year, it'll take us an hour and a half to agree on where to eat. But this one subject is the unified opinion that we all have. Nick Aldis needs to be a top guy in this business, and he needs to be that yesterday. He's right. Do you know that? All right, we are back here on House of Kayfabe, and I am with Matt Mullins, Derek Jones, Stephen Barker, and Stephen P. New. And I really wanted to bring you guys here to talk about one specific storyline in the world of professional wrestling and that's the uh the, the storyline that involves kenny omega and the elite in aew and there are a lot of things you know that we could talk about here but really the main thing i want to say is is it working and when i say is it working we're talking about the angle itself bringing back the elite uh joining you know joining up with the bucks having the bucks and the good brothers in this faction with kenny basically doing the i mean taking from the bullet club and in some aspects, maybe a lot of aspects, depending on who you ask. And then also this belt collector thing. The fact that he is going to different promotions and collecting belts now. He has the AAA championship. He also has the old TNA championship that exists for some reason. And then also the Impact World Championship, not to mention the AEW. So he's got all these belts. He's the belt collector. I want to start with Derrick Jones because Derrick Jones is an AEW fan. You always have been. You're, you're a diehard for it, and, and I respect you for your position. But I want to know where you stand on Kenny Omega and the Elite and what exactly is going on right now. And Do you think this is being worked the way it should be worked or maybe some way differently? 
so so you know i you know i was a bullet club guy i watched i loved new japan i loved when they came over and like you said i've been AEW from day one i went to all in i you know i experienced every bit of that the inception of it from day one when it was a t-shirt company before they wrestled their first match Stephen p knew that's what he always gives me crap about they hadn't wrestled a match and <laughs> i, I didn't call, i didn't here. call it that Derek. one of my co-hosts here was calling it a t-shirt company when it you and was I were me. rooting for its success it was me because you were buying t-shirts for all these different characters and then the show didn't even exist yet it was it was fun. <laughs> it was a funny joke to make it was a funny i i feel bad about it uh, but the characters—they were still real to me. Damn it, they were still <laughs> real to me. I knew of these people because you know I follow the indies. It's it's what I do. I enjoy it. I love independent wrestling for all of its horrible nature that it truly is, and it's rough to watch sometimes. But you find some great things there. Um, so you know, following them along, I, I'm a big fan of the Bullet Club transition through the Elite. I love all Elite wrestling. I, you know, I love pro wrestling, but I do love all AEW right now. Um, I. I don't know that I'm completely sold on reforming the elite with uh, the Good Brothers, the Bucks, and Omega, um, but I do like the the idea, the concept uh, of the the territories. You know that that's kind of what we're recycling again is is the territories, and we have one champion that's going to float between the territories. I don't know that I would have done it with Omega. Um, I, I don't know who I would have done it with truly, but I I'm not a huge Kenny Omega fan. Not not to that extent to put him on the face of every company around with the exception of WWE and hopes that he's going to be the next household name that, that sets us up for, for great success. I don't know that he's that guy, but I think what this can transition to is, you know, you called him the belt collector. He's going to go through and, and do all this and they're going to develop a major babyface star off of this heat that Kenny Omega is going to generate taking all these belts and taking over all these other companies. Okay, so the way this is kind of set up is, it, you know, Matt Mullins, Stephen P. New, and myself, we all want AEW to succeed. We all want uh, Kenny Omega to succeed. I was a huge Kenny Omega fan from his stuff in Japan. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're not anti-AEW. We're not anti-Kenny Omega. Now, Stephen Barker, you, on the other hand, have been the kind of the, 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 the anti-AEW guy from the start here. So... I'm, I'm kind of giving you the floor next to say what you think of Kenny Omega's position and what you think of this this new faction, of the, this new version of the elite, because you are usually the yin to uh, Derrick Jones's yang. So uh, tell me what you think. I, w- I will start this off with this. I have now turned to being jealous of Derek because Derek gets to enjoy this shit. And I wish I could enjoy it because it is what it is. It's shit. Now, I will put it like this. I am not an AEW. Yeah, I guess I am an AEW hate, hate, hater. But it comes from, what's that uh, George Carlin uh, line? Uh, Every cynic is just a failed hopeful or something like that in that vicinity. And I went to AEW and went to Charleston. I watched the for I watched strong the first two or three ah fuck maybe three four or five months of it. I have paid for two different pay per views and I've watched some other pay per views other ways, and it's just hype. It's internet hype. Kenny Omega is proving that he can be a competent and even a trend-setting wrestler when he has a true non-markish money mark 
Booker because his shit in New Japan was phenomenal. Those Okada matches are fucking masterpieces. That Jericho match, did they Ray wrestle twice or once? It was twice. Twice. I, I know I saw at least one of them. And that was back when Jericho you know, both, still had a waistline and he could still work. They were and both he good work now, but still, uh, I think that was really the beginning of Jericho's weight gain. That was when he wanted to to have the more Dick the Bruiser. That's what style. he said. Yeah, I, I don't believe that. I no, man, no man's like you know what, man. I want to go from like being handsome and like in shape to just fat. No dude says that. Jericho's the man, whether he's a little he heavier is. or not. He's on my Mount Rushmore. He's on my Mount Rushmore. Shout out to another episode. Uh, I think that AEW and now, you know, they are getting over a million uh, 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 watchers and their their YouTube channel is get, They're making a lot of money off their YouTube channel. You know, they're big, but they're just going to always be niche if they don't start trying to get out of this inside joke that Derek and that ilk are all in on. And that's <laughs> great. That's great that you all know that neutral milk hotel was abandoned fucking Georgia in the two thousands that sold seven records that a bunch of journalists said is great, but you can't name a fucking song off that record. Matt might be able to, that's what we're dealing with here. It's an, it's, it's inside joke. And if they had a real, uh, it was on one of my Steve Barker bitches. If they had somebody in the back to tell these motherfuckers no, Kenny Omega can have great matches, dude. I watched a what's the the comedy guy in Japan? Kano, Kono. Uh, I don't know. You got Derek, me. you know what I'm talking about the 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 chubby, jokey Santino Morella of of in of New Japan. Uh, there is Kano, something like that. Uh, he gave he gave Kenny Omega a DVD and he opened it up and it blew fucking uh, powder in his face and he tried to pin him. Like he even had a great match with that <laughs> with their like joke guy in Japan. Those guys when they have uh, someone in the back that can actually book, he can have good matches. They do not have a good bro- booker in AEW. You cannot tell me that that television show is good. It's so- a fucking mess. It is a mess of run-ins and factions and people you don't know. Like, who are those fuckers that's with QT Marshall? Who are they? Who are those people? Who were all these those tag guys that was in that tag team battle royale bullshit on that last pay-per-view that you all made me watch? Who are these people? There's no one there that knows how to make a star. And if Kenny Omega and the Elite hadn't come from Japan and had all that heat, AEW would be getting fucking, like, impact numbers right now. Okay, so a question that I have for Stephen P. New: You, you know, you, title belts are a big deal to you, just like they are to me. And Kenny Omega is going around collecting these belts. He's got the AAA title, he's got the TNA title, he's got the Impact Championship, and he's got the AEW title. Do you think that this does anything for anybody except for Kenny Omega and AEW? Because that's one of the biggest things that is going on right now is that people are saying, "Hey, this does nothing." Even Booker T was on record like. What is Impact thinking? Why are they letting Kenny Omega win their title? What do you think about him collecting all these belts? I need more information. Has Impact gotten more views since this? Derek Jones is shaking his head yes. Yes, they have. If there are more pay-per-view sales as their last major. Yeah, but, you know, eight. I've got the floor there, Barker. Resner asked me the question. My answer to your question, Resner, is if Impact's numbers are up 
because Kenny Omega is now their world champion, and there's been this crossover. You've had Tony Khan on there. There was Tony Khan, Jerry Lynn, and Tony Schiavone front row watching the championship match between Swan uh, and Omega. Then my answer is it's been worth it to somebody. Now, I don't know that it boosts AEW's ratings, you know, they're they got out drawn by Joe Biden last Wednesday. We're gonna have to see what happens on Wednesday this week. But it's been good for it's been good for impact. So Well, see, you know, is it good for impact in the end though? What's the end game there? Well, I don't know because we're not at the end. What I can say is that in the short term, it's been good for impact. We're gonna have to ultimately see where this goes. Is there some plan? Is there some Illuminati talking? Con, Corgan, Bauer. Well, Bauer is now apparently in bed with WWE, so you can take him out. Whoever is in charge of ROH now, New Japan, AAA. If those five entities start working together, do they have something going here that could improve everything? It, it, and did, did you, you, make, did you, you give hear? Kenny Omega a shot at all those world titles? I don't know. I'd like to see Kenny Omega versus Nick Aldis, wouldn't you guys? I, I sure would. Did you hear about his next challenger in AAA? Anybody? The next challenger in AAA is Andrade. I think that that would cause a bunch of people who've never watched AAA, like myself, tune in and watch that. Yeah, I want to see that. And, and that is supposed to be the next match. So, it, it's kind of it kind of goes in the same theme of the best bout machine, you know. Uh, when he's traveling the world, uh, you know, facing the greatest challengers of all, you know, of all now, the now, championship. Now I'm going to side with Barker. Do I necessarily believe that that's Kenny Omega or that, that it should be Kenny Omega as opposed to Cody Rhodes? Hell no! I think Cody Rhodes is a much better draw, a much bigger name, a much better bout machine. So, if I had my druthers here, and I don't, I would rather see Cody Rhodes going through all of this on behalf of the elite than Kenny Omega. But it's not me calling shots. I'm not a billionaire. And I don't own a wrestling company. Um, that's just kind of my two cents about it. Um, I've never thought I'd ever hear you say you weren't a billionaire. I, I mean, I know you're not a billionaire, but I never thought you'd admit it. But uh, Matt Mullins, what did you think about uh, about Kenny Omega? And or not? What did you think? What do you so, think? What do you well, think about Kenny Omega? Here, here's my thing. I, I like Kenny Omega, uh, but it's kind of the overall problem I have with AEW. I don't know what they're doing, and I'm not sure that they know what they're doing. But if if what they're doing is they're just picking, they're making their decisions on uh, what would Vince McMahon not do, and that's what they're doing, then I'm okay with it. Like, <laughs> they just want to be the polar opposite. They know that Vince wouldn't do this shit. Uh, I'm okay with it. I think I think it does benefit. It benefited Impact, and it, it seems like it's going to benefit AAA, and it'll benefit NWA Power because they've been, you know, down. Uh, we've not really seen, I mean, we had like Vader do something similar a long time ago, but 
the this generation has never seen something like Ultimo this. Dragon as well. Ultimo Dragon was a belt collector. Um, Hardy Boys did it. The Hardy Boys did it not long ago. They that, did it in Madison. The Hardy Boys did do it. That is true. They were the belt collectors. One thing that I will say is when they finally build up to Nick Aldis versus Kenny Omega, I feel like that will be a huge draw. I, I don't. Man, maybe I I'm wrong, but I think that good. we're. I think that we're in our bubble, Rez. Unfortunately, I think we're in our bubble. And I think that's my point about all of it is I think about AEW outside of the bubble and for them to really get long-term success. I think what we're seeing right now is uh, like a five-year run that's going to end up on the WWE network eventually. My, my only prop, my only like really other issue that I have is there's so much talent in AEW that I feel like gets shelved so that they can go to other companies and put, that, and that's a problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, they have a deep fucking roster. They deep. got too many. Yeah. Too, too, almost, many. too But, I mean, them going outside the company, it is a kind of a cool angle, but at the same time, there's a lot of people that aren't getting screen time because of it. Well, let's talk about, like, the proof is in the pudding. And I didn't watch this match, and I know Derek did. And according to Stephen New in the chat, he did. Stephen P., did he have the greatest bout machine against Rich Swan. Was that a match that was like set the world on fire that was going to move the needle? That was Buxomania. I mean, I think Impact got a lot of pay-per-view buys. There were a lot more eyes watching Impact than if you had seen Rich Swan versus, oh, what's the guy's name from Ohio? You all like him. Sammy Callahan. Sammy Callahan. Thank you, Derek. I mean, if that was Sammy Callahan versus Rich Swan. None of us except Derek are probably watching that. Maybe not even for free. Well, you know, sure ain't paying 40 bucks for it. But it was Botchamania Central. Maybe Rich Swan was hurt. I feel like Rich Swan, Rich Swan, I feel like Rich Swan was nervous. That's what I felt the entire time is like Rich Swan felt like this is the biggest moment of Then if you're not ready life. for prime time, get the hell out of the way. That was a that was not ready for prime time, you know, and it just proves that you know he shouldn't be in the WWE. Uh, you shouldn't even be on two hundred five live or whatever it is. I, I see. I, I, I have. I, I happen to disagree. I think Rich Swan, especially since getting the impact, has really showed that he he is a, a a really good talent. I just don't think he was ready to be in the ring with Kenny Omega. And I also got the yeah. Vibe, he showed he botched the hell out of almost every spot. And I think Kenny Omega really showed that he did not necessarily like being in the ring with Rich Swan. So it, they definitely did not mesh. Well, but, then that's just unprofessional behavior. Then. It, it well, I mean, it, uh, you should watch the match. I felt like Kenny got rough with him a couple well, of times because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Go back and 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 Derek and I had this agreement on our chat the other day. People talking about, and I took offense to them talking about it was the Bucks or somebody having formulaic matches. Go watch some of Ric Flair's Formula Central, but they were fantastic because it was Ric Flair. Same thing. Go back and watch Ric Flair wrestle Rufus R. Freight Train Jones sometime. You know, that's going to happen. You're, you're going to have Rick Rick Flair versus Porkchop Cash. It's going to happen if you're are going these to have real, a traveling Are these champion. real people? Are these real huh? people? Are these real people that you're talking about? Porkchop Cash? 
Yes, go look them up. There was a wrestler named Porkchop Cash. There was a wrestler named Rufus R. Freight Train Jones. I knew. I remember yeah. that name. This is like this is like when I say Bastion Booger and no one gets the joke. But everybody should get that. Rufus R. Freight Train Jones. And the reason why is Ric Flair used to reference him because he was hard to wrestle. And Ric Flair would tell people, look, when I was wrestling 60 minutes on my second 60-minute match of a Sunday against Rufus R. Freight Train Jones, you know, you were still sucking on your mom's tit. So, you know, until Kenny Omega can make those guys look good or lift them up or have something other than a botchamania, maybe he's not that. Now, he's going to have a gold five, seven-star match with Nick Aldis. But see, again, that goes back to, like, we're all here Nick Aldis marks, and we all pretty much kind of, you know, uh, okay with Kenny Omega. But I'm talking about outside of that bubble. Your mom, who's not a wrestling fan, is never going to know who fucking Kenny Omega is. But she's going to know who Roman Reigns is. But you know what? That's the beauty of belts. That's the thing about belts. First of all, I've always been a believer that the belt is just as big of a star as the champion. So if you're talking about you've got a guy who's went all over the globe collecting championship belts. He went to Canada and got the impact belt. He went to Mexico and got the AAA belt. He's got the AEW title here. He went back in the fucking past. He went back to the future and picked up the TNA title. He's got all these belts that are are his and you get that story across that he is trying to get every title in the world and then you find out that the next title he wants to win is the oldest championship in the history of the world. The NWA World Heavyweight title title that's a fucking push and it doesn't matter who's in that spot if you've got the nwa world title on the line and you've got a guy who's collected titles from all over the world you've got something that resembles the greatest versus the greatest and that's what you promote now are we being hopeful or is this something that's in, it's even in the talks uh may, maybe it's not in the talks i mean if, if they need it to be in the talks they can call me i will give them the whole thing well, look, man, NWA, look, before, before the pandemic and before they got rid of Jim Cornette, NWA was doing decent views. And then they kind of went away. And I don't know why they deleted their YouTube channel. That was a horrendous idea. But I have Whoever to did- say, even in this, if this happens, say this happens, NWA is not going to have anything to do with the creative of this. They're just going to be a part of it. A- AEW is going to decide how this goes. Well, then I do not want to see Nick Aldis fucking stare the lights against Kenny Omega. Well, that's what you're going to see. Is, if that happens, that that's what crap. you're going to see. Am I, am I wrong, Derek Jones? You're not wrong, and that's also why it's not going to happen. You're not going to get Kenny Omega versus Nick Aldis. It's, that match is not going to happen. Okay, why do you think it's not going to happen? Well, I don't think it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. The Kenny Omega run now is not to destroy another company that has a real-world champion. Rich Swan was not a real-world champion. Just flat out, he was not. He was not ready to be in a ring with Kenny Omega. He was, would not be ready to be in a ring with Josh Alexander, their new X-Division champion. Should have been Moose. It shouldn't have been Moose. You it, it, it could have been Eddie Edwards. It could have been Sammy Callahan. There's a list of guys on that roster. It could have been, it could have been Ace Austin. Rich Swan's not ready to be a world champion. Well then, why is then 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 that goes back to this whole thing though? Rich Swan is was, tra- the belt was put on Rich Swan to lose to Kenny Omega. I wholeheartedly believe that with with the 
with the insertion of Don Callis, this was put well, into works a long time ago. I was going to say, I have to say that, that they gave the belt to Rich Swan before the, I think they even had an idea that Kenny Omega was ever going to be there. Do you think? I think. I mean, I, I when, don't know. When your president and CEO or your president of your company is on the other show every week and already in cahoots with your world champion, I don't know. Well, no, he wasn't, though. That When they first put the belt on Rich Swan, when they actually, when he walked through the door, they put him in the world title picture right out the gate. And that's when I first moved to Florida. That was That was almost three years ago. So, and they were pushing him in the world title picture then. So, this I'm, goes... You think this that they goes, knew this was going to happen almost three years ago? This goes to Matt Mullins. This is before point. AEW existed. This goes to Matt Mullins' point, though, is why the fuck are we even talking about Impact? We should be talking about Adam Page and fucking Team Taz well, and uh, uh, Darby uh, Allen. But this is not about that. But now <laughs> we've got this, this, the attention is spread out. And look, there's only so much attention that, that this niche market can give you mean you mean adam page versus ethan page with diamond dallas page and christian cage and brian cage and a steel cage it'll be all the rage it'll be all the rage that's it dude that's the whole fucking point tony khan is a money mark who is just fantasy booking what he thought he could do when he's a fucking teenager and none of it moves the needle one bit all it does is make dave Meltzer's dick hard and that's all it does none of this matters go so, what go wa- okay look like uh, we know and unfortunately wwe is the fucking biggest thing in the world in the wrestling business go to a house show and ask anybody there that's not one of us. Because, look, man, we're all another echelon of Markish, right? We're a fucking, we're uh, at midnight on a Monday doing a wrestling podcast, right? Most Marks are asleep, right? Go wa- ask anybody at a house show if they know that Kenny Omega and Rich Swan fucking wrestled. And no one will know I'm on a podcast with the biggest marks that I know. And I didn't know that fucking match was happening until y'all started talking about it in the chat. So if I don't know about it, the kids who are there to watch Roman Reigns and and love Becky Lynch, they don't know. And they're not going to get any but bigger wait, than what they you, are now. Do you think that that is the, that was, the, I mean, that's the purpose. That's the whole reason. You're right. They don't know Rich Swan's the champion anywhere. They don't know Kenny Omega faced Rich Swan, but I bet you they knew Monday morning. Monday morning, they said, holy shit, that guy from Wednesday nights on TNT won the world title on that show that we used to watch back uh, when it was on Spike. And somebody was like, what the fuck, Spike? And he was like, I don't remember. But either way, that that's that's the conversation what that happens. Spike? And then they start looking it up. Well, if Kenny Omega won the world title, then I need to find out who the, this Rich Swan guy is. I need to find out who Kenny Omega is. Obviously, this is wrestling news. And then, boom, people are paying attention. So uh, the question, though, still lies. And, and as we wrap up this segment, I want to say, you know, should Kenny Omega continue on this path or should we see Kenny Omega focus more on AEW and not on other companies? Derek Jones. I think he should still continue on this path because I still wholeheartedly believe that his journey right now is going to come to an end at revolution next year against Adam page where Adam page beats Kenny Omega to be the world champion. And here's how you book it. Adam page also calls Kenny Omega to lose the impact world titles to Chris Bay or Ace Austin over at Impact and sets up a feud where he beats him at Revolution. 
I I, I can't uh, I can't say that's a bad idea. Matt Mullins, what would you do with Kenny Omega right now? I mean, I think that you're already this fucking far. I want to see I want to see Nick Aldis. I want to see that match. So in in a Dream Booker's world where it's not it just like Derek Jones said, it, it probably is not going to happen. But I mean, maybe somebody's listening to Brian Reznor and they're like, "Fuck it, let's do it." And I, that's what I want to see happen. So. What do I think is going to happen? It's probably not that, but that's what I want. I, I really want that to happen too. Seeing Nick Aldis versus Kenny Omega is the big money match of this whole thing, I believe. I mean, the only way that it could be any better is if Kenny Omega faces off with the WWE World Champion. I mean, that's yeah. that's the only way it could get any better. Now, uh, with, with you, Stephen Barker, what would you do with Kenny Omega? I would get him to focus on trying to make my promotion bigger. Because, and, and you are talking about this Adam Page shit, he just jobbed to uh, Team Taz the other night. They've got to get, if they, you have to heat a man up. You can't just be like, well, all of a sudden, here's Adam Page fucking, uh, you know, he's not, he's been with this comedy act for how long now with the dork order he's not he's not close to being ready to what you're talking about Derek and that's the point because none of the focus is on that show it is an ego boost because Tony Khan said he would never be an on-air talent on AEW but he went and did it at TNA this is just him paying so he can play fucking junior varsity Vince McMahon. It yes. comes off as low rent and junior varsity. And until they work on getting the fucking 73 wrestlers that appear on Wednesday, it's never going to get any bigger. It's only going to be this niche market. And Matt Mullins, if you're a musician and you have a crowd, and if you don't start building that crowd and keep building it, they're going to get kids and they're not going to have be able to come to your show and that's what's going to happen to aew people are going to fucking fall by the wayside like we always do and what always happens with wrestling they get bored and they quit watching and they're not making any new fans this aid that it's it's all an ego trip it means nothing and i will i'll end it with this and i'll quote one of your guys rez on the eric bischoff podcast Nobody gives a shit in the grand scheme of things. Nobody gives a good goddamn. And that's Eric Bischoff, the only man who ever beat Vince McMahon in the ratings. I'm not a huge fan, but he knows a little bit. And if he says it, it's probably true. (laughs) How many great minds that we listen to all say it don't fucking matter okay so so it comes down to steven barker what he would do with kenny omega no one gives a shit steve steven p knew what would you do with kenny omega i'd replace him yep <laughs> you'd replace him with with cody rhodes yep Th- there's the one guy who's been on a national tv show whose name means something and who absolutely i think huh Wants to beat WWE. That. And I think there is a story to tell that you can somehow get this, you know, albatross off his neck. You, you, you come up with some kind of program where he can fight for the world title again. And you have about a, a six or eight month buildup to that match, to the blow off where Cody wins the world title. And if I'm Tony Khan, I start right now, 
I build up to a match in December that has Cody Rhodes beating Kenny Omega for the world title and maybe leave the other belts on Kenny Omega. I don't, I don't care at that point, but for your company, for AEW, you make Cody Rhodes your AEW world champion and you spend 2022 trying to grow your audience, but you got to do it with a guy, you know, the son of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, you got to do it with a guy like Cody. I don't think you can do that with a guy like Omega. But see, there's a stipulation problem because Tony Khan just does fucking fantasy stip, uh, stip booking. Remember, Cody Rhodes promised that he would never go after the championship. Well, well, and, and, they did and that the, in the first month of the promotion. The, the way you do that is, is you start questioning Omega's legitimacy and, you know, You've not beat Cody Rhodes one-on-one. Have they ever wrestled, Derek? Uh, Yeah, in Japan. All right. Okay. You somehow question Omega's legitimacy. You have somebody else questioning Omega's legitimacy. Well, you know, you've beaten everybody in the company. You've beaten everybody in other companies, but you haven't beaten Cody Rhodes. You somehow get it to where Omega has to want to beat Cody Rhodes to to. You know, it's he's not a belt collector, but I don't know how you do it exactly. But anyway, you make it such that he wants to beat Cody Rhodes. He asks that the stip get lifted, and you have the match. Well, I tell you what, that you know, if I was going to take something, if I was going to take Matt Mullins, Derek Jones, and Stephen P. News, and and Stephen Barker didn't even answer my question, so I don't even know what the fuck he would do with Kenny Omega. Other than I wasn't done yet, he would shut down the whole fucking. No, I wasn't finished yet. But my thought is, what if Cody Rhodes gets put in to the elite? He comes to the elite, you know, they get rid of the whole nightmare thing. That's stupid as shit anyway. He doesn't need a team of people and all these. Does he keep the neck tattoo? Yeah, he keeps the neck tattoo because that's forever. It's permanent. Does Arn Anderson keep the Waffle House menu? Yeah, no. Uh, Arn Anderson goes with the MJF and Tully Blanchard. (laughs) We send him over there and we put Cody Rhodes in the elite. And then Cody Rhodes is the poison that causes... Uh, the Good Brothers to turn on Kenny Omega. The Young Bucks do that thing where they're like, oh, we don't know what to do. We like Kenny, but we like the Elite. Oh, what do we do? So they do that thing, and then you get Kenny Omega. They cost him the AAA title against Andrade. They cost him the TNA and Impact Championship against Sammy Callahan or somebody else. And then he's got the AEW title, and then that's when he starts his feud with Cody Rhodes, and that feud will will, will end with Kenny Omega versus Nick Aldis, which would be the next feud that he would go to after he beat Cody Rhodes. So Hopefully Nick Aldis will be with the WWE by then. <laughs> I don't think he was going to be. Man, that's painful, so, man. I need him to be so there. So aside from like Cody costing Kenny belts later on, the, the story that you just told is exactly what happened in New Japan, only instead of the elite, it was the Bullet Club. Cody inserts. Cody's the leader of the Bullet Club. The Bucks are confused. Anderson and Gallo take off. Like that, that this, That's how it happened. Okay, well, I mean, so, and it happened even before that, because remember, they beat up AJ when he left. Because okay, AJ... Yeah, that, that's how they that, transitioned all of the leaders. So, that's the third, that would be the third time that would happen in the Bullet Club. So you have a complete storyline that America has not seen yet. Okay, done, done. Man, it's a, it's a super easy here when we're talking about this, uh, this situation. Either Email Brian Reznor, Tony Khan. Okay, so, uh, so I guess 
before we end it, you know, Stephen Barker, you really avoided my whole fucking question, and you just bitched about AEW for like three no, minutes. I was, I was going somewhere, and then I, well, you you went somewhere as in stopping, and I figured you were done. I was like, well, damn, I guess uh, he didn't have any fucking idea for Kitty Omega whatsoever. But since you say you were not finished, and I cut you off, please now once again, I will ask you, Stephen Barker, what the fuck would you do with Kenny Omega? <laughs> Well, see, it's not that it's not that easy of a question because the best question should be, how do you get someone to book this bullshit? And it doesn't matter if I say Kenny should do this and I fantasy book this. It's still going to be Tony Khan and it's still going to be garbage. But this isn't Tony Khan. This is Stephen Barker. This is what you would do if you were booking. The first Kenny thing Omega. I would do is Tony Khan, go get a fucking booker who's been in this fucking business. He did. He and got knows Stephen how to do Barker. It. He just got Stephen Barker. You're hired as a booker. What are you doing with Kenny Omega? Jesus Christ is not fucking hard, Stephen. Tell me what you would do with, with Kenny Omega if you're the booker. I would shut down everything, all these extracurricular activities. Now, obviously, he can go off and do a triple a because you know they have those open-ended contracts where they're allowed to go around right but that gold collector who gives a shit come to my be on my in in america nowhere else but my show you can go to mexico and you can go to japan and you know in impact he didn't go to canada because that fucking pay-per-view is in tennessee you are on my shit, and you are here to be the Ric Flair or the Hulk Hogan or the fucking uh, Goldberg of my shit and get my people over. I'm not here to feed your ego so you have more bags to check with fucking belts when you go through an airport. Get my shit over. Get Adam Page warmed up. Worry about my TV. That's all that I would do. Is Kenny Omega, you are here to make my people look better. You are here to be Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan or fucking Goldberg or whoever else you want to say. That's what he needs to do. That's what needs to happen because Kenny Omega is on the downside of his career. He's always already talking about not being around that much longer. So if he leaves, Chris Jericho can't be there fucking forever. Adam Page has to step up. There's all these young guys that need to step up. There's 75,000 wrestlers on that fucking uh, show. And Kenny Omega, unfortunately for right now, is the only one that moves the needle. None of those guys moves the needle. Miro was on WWE. He was on WrestleMania a couple times. And Miro couldn't sell seven fucking pay-per-views right now. Are you going to heat Miro up? No. It's all this Kenny Omega fucking ego bullshit. So what I would say is Kenny Omega, come here and make my promotion better. Who gives a fuck about impact? All that is is Tony Khan wanting to play Vince McMahon and be a peel. It's all stupid and no one gives a shit. Kenny Omega, come here, be Ric Flair, be Hulk Hogan, and make me money and fans. Bottom line, full stop. <laughs> All right, it still wasn't a really storyline thing that I, I, still, that I don't was, need a storyline. Do for. that. Do that. Be Hulk it. fucking Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, so Kenny Omega needs to be Hulk Hogan. All right. Well, that uh, that about covers it. We'll be right a way better working Hulk Hogan. A way better working. <laughs> we'll Hulk. be right back on House of Kayfabe. When it comes to your brand, your visual presence is so important. You can't just get anybody to take care of that for you. When you are trying to take your image to the next level, you need to contact Eli Brazil at Eli's Digital Concepts. Eli specializes in improving your look with cutting-edge graphics that set you apart from the rest. He has done work for franchise with Shane Douglas, House of Kayfabe, Dan Healy, 
RTW, and many more. Eli's Digital Concepts is your one-stop shop for all types of graphic design, such as rebranding, photo manipulation, posters, logos, letterheads, t-shirt designs, mock-ups, and even AutoCAD work. You can catch Eli on Instagram at Eli's Digital Concepts, on Twitter at Eli's Concepts, on Facebook at Eli's Digital Concepts, or you can email him directly, Eli's Digital Concepts at gmail.com. Eli's Digital Concepts, custom artwork you have to see to believe. The next big thing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the next big thing. I am Derek Jones. And yes, I am the only Derek Jones that matters in this universe or the next. Here at The Next Big Thing, I like to bring to you talents from all over the world. Talents that you may know, talents that you should know, and today, talents that I just don't really care about. So a while back, I asked all of the fans, I said, hey, who do you think is the next big thing? I I've put over some pretty good names. And my list of names is actually getting smaller and smaller by the day because people that I know that are going to be the next big thing are getting sold to the top bidder right now as we speak. The WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, New Japan, they're, they're finding these talents quicker than I can put this out to you. So I asked, who do you think is the next big thing? And there was one man that continually popped up on my, on my boards, in my DMs, and people just, just sending me text messages saying, Derek, you gotta talk about him. You gotta talk about him. You gotta talk about him. So I thought about it for a minute and I was like, no. But then I realized this is the best platform for me to send the message to you to let you all know that who you think is the next big thing is not. And that's why I put on this show and not you because your eye for talent is horrible. So here it is. Here's the man that every single one of you told me is the next big thing. Here's the reason why he's not. So let's talk about him. And I apologize ahead of time if you hear this, but let's be realistic. You're not going any further than you are. And if you do, I'll eat my words later on down the road. Best of luck. But today we're gonna talk about the one, the only, Matt Cross. This man has been through so many name changes and transitions in his career and wrestled for so many promotions that you would think he would be a star amongst stars. He should be the top tier performer in the world. As much ring time as this man has had, and believe me, he's probably got in more matches than any of your favorites will ever have in his career. Matt Cross, M-Dog 20, Son of Havoc, Raptor, and Spartan 3000? Are you kidding me right now? So maybe it's the name. Maybe they can't get past that name change that he constantly does or different names he uses on every different program or every different indie card that he ever shows up on. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe the name holds him back. Just stick to one name, man. Own your name. And when I say own it, I mean literally own it. Call Stephen Pino if you have to. Get it legally belonging to you so you can use it everywhere you go. Okay? Just stick with Matt Cross. Nobody wants to see Spartan 3000 or M-Dog 20. Son of Havoc is, eh, I guess. But you're Matt Cross. Own who you are. So Matt Cross has been wrestling since his debut in 1999. He has wrestled for some of the biggest and smallest promotions in the world, not just the country folks, the world. Making a major start in the UWA Canada, having some great matches up there, promoted him into being a success later on. He's wrestled for Shakara, he's wrestled for CZW, Ring of Honor, Wrestling Society X during its short run. Lucha Underground, and let's face it, Lucha Underground could have been one of the best things to ever happen to pro wrestling. And then even up to 2019, when he wrestled in the NWA. 
currently will probably still compete for the NWA. And even if they go mainstream, I still don't think he's going to make it anywhere. Maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I am. Because I want to see wrestlers succeed. I want to see them do well. But this guy, he's not doing it for me, guys. He even had a short stint in WWE in 2010. Was part of their Tough Enough. Season 5 Tough Enough. Pretty sure he was out in like week 2 or 3. But to make it even better, no one out of that class has even done anything. You were in the worst of the worst class of Tough Enough and still couldn't succeed to break through that glass ceiling. The only person out of that class that's probably even doing anything right now is Eva Lise. And she's wrestling for AEW. And she's doing a fantastic job. She come from nothing and made something of herself. You, sir, are still not making anything of yourself other than the fact that we can put you on any indie card in the world and you'll be there. You show up. It's your greatest attribute, man. You show up. People know your name, so they want to come watch you. They want to see you succeed. They want to see Matt Cross do some of the most intense high-flying ring action they've ever seen. And everybody gives me a hard time about it. Everybody knows it. I'm a spot monkey. I love high-flying wrestling. But here's the great thing about you. You're not just a one-trick pony, Matt. You can actually grapple on the ground with guys, and you still can't get over. What is it with you? I need you to be more than what you are. I need you to break out of your shell. I need you to stop being so content with your mediocrity and be a star. Matt Cross, the fans want you to be the next big thing. I don't think you're gonna be the next big thing. So that's why I'm here to tell you all that my pick for the next big thing will be on the next episode because it ain't Matt Cross. I am Derek Jones. You can catch me online at D Jones Hill Twitter and always right here in the house of Kayfabe. I was told to go home from Tough Enough. The chance of a lifetime and Stone Cold Steve Austin told me I sucked. What? He said I wasn't good enough. What? He told me to go home. What? He said I didn't have what it takes. But you see, I do have what it takes. And I did go home, but I didn't just go home and sit there and rest on my laurels now. No, I went to Russia, where I main evented. I went to Germany, I went to England, I went to Mexico, Canada, Colombia, you name it. I main evented in Russia. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back here on the House of Kayfabe, and it is that time where we say goodbye. Uh, it is the end of the show, but Stephen P. knew we got to talk to a world champion, and he's coming back for the next episode for the second half of this interview. So we're going to have two world championship House of Kayfabes. Ladies and gentlemen, anytime you wonder who's bringing you the best content in wrestling, podcasting, House of Kayfabe is right up there. At the top, we take a backseat to nobody, baby. When we're bringing you guests like the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Nick Aldis, man, what a ride, Reznor. That is correct, and you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com backslash House of Kayfabe. You can also find us on Twitter at HKFabe. You can find us on Instagram at House of Kayfabe. And don't forget on Facebook to join the Kayfabe Residence Groups. A lot of uh, conversation going on there. And you can have fun participating in such. 
Now, next time, next episode, we've got the second half of Nick Aldis coming up, and we're going to announce our next interview, which is going to be a very special interview that I don't even want to tell anybody anything about, but I will say this. It's not going to be a two-parter, and it's not going to be a regular episode. It's going to be a special inside edition, which will be an entire hour-long interview with this person and i'm not going to tell you about it until next week Stephen p new i'm about to tell these people goodbye do you want to say anything to them yes house of kayfabe listeners share us on social media bring people to us we've still got our t-shirt giveaway going we're going to get some more great merch we just need you to help share us get the word out there that you are a resident of the house of kayfabe Invite your loved ones, your family, and friends to also become residents of the House of Kayfabe. Do us that favor, folks. I, you know what? We do have one announcement we can let go right now. The fact All that right. we are going to be at this year's WrestleCade. House of Kayfabe yes, will be there, and we are bringing a special guest. And Stephen P. New, I think you should be the one to tell them all who's going to be at the House of Kayfabe table at WrestleCade this year in Winston-Salem. Absolutely. First announcement, first guest announced by WrestleCade. WrestleCade is going to be West Virginia Strong with Heath. That is right. On the show at WrestleCade and sponsored by All-Star Wrestling, New Law Office, and the House of Kayfabe. Come down and join us. It's going to be great. And you know what's awesome is Heath was actually our first guest on House of Kayfabe, and we just had to bring him into WrestleCade with us. Because of that, it's going to be a great time, and I cannot wait. I am going to come in from Florida for this, if if at all possible. What What's the what's – the, the saying, if uh, Lord Willen in the creek don't rise, I will be there, sir. And we will have a blast at WrestleCade this year. So, without further ado, we must bid you adieu. Um, we will see you next time right here. House of Kayfabe. Incredibly brilliant. Handsome man once said, it is so hard to be humble. And when I think about the fact that I'm coming up on one year, 365 days as the real world champion. Sometimes, sometimes it's so hard to stay hungry. But then I think about just how far we've come from a punchline to a headline. The NWA is here in Atlanta, GA, and I'm fired up, and I know you people are too. Then I think about in the back, there are men and women seasoned professionals, dues paid in full, gunning to be the best. And the men are gunning for Sweet Charlotte, the 10 pounds of gold, the world's heavyweight wrestling championship. But respect is a two-way street. And when you look at me, know that every stitch of clothing I have on, the jag parked outside, every meal I've ever put on my son's dinner table has been paid for by professional wrestling. So if you think that I busted my ass from coast to coast and across four different continents just to do the J-O-B in the ATL, you got another thing coming, my friend. Yeah.
of Superior Radio Network.